Welcome to Pixel Tunes Radio, a podcast where we have fun talking about video games and video game music. I'm Mike. And I'm Pyramid Head Ed. <laughs> hey, that rhymes. It does. Today we are talking about Silent Hill, the world of Silent Hill, and the games. And this is going to be pretty new material for me personally. I know you're a huge fan, though. Yeah, this is episode 73, and we have a special guest today that will be joining us in a couple minutes. But first, we want to do our Pixel Chat segment. We got a lot of questions from you guys. We had, like... Only a couple questions, and I put the uh, the call out on Twitter and Facebook, and then they just came pouring in through, yeah, yeah. through the cracks in the walls. <laughs> so we're going to split them up. So if your question isn't answered on today's episode, we will put it in the queue for next episode. So right. we'll definitely get an answer to otherwise, your burning question. Otherwise, it'll be like 30 minutes. We'll be here all day, seriously. Yeah. We have three questions from the Triumvirate of Cams okay. today. So the first one from our friend Cam Childs. You have to choose an OST to inspire the hero, a.k.a. the chosen one, a.k.a. the one foretold in prophecy, to accompany his or her training montage for the final battle to save the world. What do you pick? Ooh, that's tough. I don't know, I guess Chrono Trigger. I know I always go back to that, but there's a lot of very heroic music that you can play from that soundtrack. Mm. So I think it would... Be very inspiring. That cool. soundtrack always made me want to go out and have an adventure. So nice. Yeah, I would pick the soundtrack from uh, Cho Ren Sha 68K because it's all very fast-paced. <laughs> Isn't that the game with all the naked guys? No, that's Cho Iniki. Oh, okay. Cho Ren Sha is the uh, X68000 vertical shooter. That's right. Yeah, Ruzar and Kashiwagi. We did that little interview thing yes. with him. That's got an amazing soundtrack. It's full of heroic pick-me-up tunes. It's uh doesn't have any rests in it. It's just go, go, go. I think that would be great for a training montage. Cool. Our next question comes from Cam Mount, and he asks, considering the success of retro-style newish games such as Crypt of the Necrodancer, Retro City Rampage, Hotline Miami, etc., etc., do you have a favorite? Thinking primarily about gameplay but music as well. I'm gonna say Shantae. I, I feel like the Shantae series is indie enough but also has it one foot in the door of like the retro old game franchises, if you will. Yeah. Like it was like the last of its kind for those types of games back in the day. And there's been quite a resurgence specifically with games like Shovel Knight with things like that. But yeah, I'm gonna say Shantae. It's funny because I, I thought it was gonna be either Shantae or Shovel Knight. I mean, I figured it would either be Shovel Knight or Shantae. So you mentioned them both. So there we go. Perfect. That's how well I know you. <laughs> uh, for me, God, it's tough because I've got like 500 games in my Steam queue right now, and I'd say 80% of them are the retro style newish games. Right. So there's a lot to pick from for me. I really enjoy Hotline Miami and Hotline Miami 2. Probably the one I've had the most fun with lately, at least, is uh, Death Road to Canada. That's a lot of fun. It's kind of like taking The Walking Dead, but putting it into kind of like a, not a really a roguelike style game, but an overhead combat beat-em-up. We might hear from it a little bit next episode, so I won't go into it too much, but it's a lot of fun. Great soundtrack. Um, well, now you're giving everything away. I know. it. It's just one out of the 12. This guy. But anyhow, so that that would be my pick for my favorite retro-style newish game. Cool. Gameplay and, and music. All right, so the third Cam question from Cam Worma. Hey, guys. Whether or not the planets continue to orbit the sun depends on your answers to this very, very important question. We're all counting on you. But no pressure, though. 
If you were given $1,000 to be spent on video game-related equipment such as games, consoles, computers, gaming accessories, audio, video equipment, furniture, etc., what would you get to upgrade your gaming experience? You don't have to account for the full $1,000, and you can supplement with extra cash if you want or can. The fate of the solar system is in your hands, Godspeed. I feel like the $1,000 doesn't mean anything, then, if you can supplement with extra cash. Yeah. So let's just say not supplement. Okay. You've given $1,000, what do you do? What do you do, Hotshot? I buy a new laptop. Not for gaming, okay. though. That would supplement your gaming experience? No. That would supplement your YouTube experience? Yeah. Your editing experience? Yeah. Well, he says audio video equipment, and that's the first thing I okay, think Okay, fair of, enough. Because I really need a new I mean, laptop. if you were going to use that laptop to capture game footage... Right. Or possibly play some more games on your PC without it chugging along slow, then yeah. I guess that would make sense. But if we're talking, like purely for game-related experience not related to YouTube or the show or, you know, uh, anything like that, I would probably buy a Cadillacs and Dinosaurs cabinet. I really, really want a Cadillacs and Dinosaurs cabinet. Cool. So, yeah, that's what I'd do. I would do pretty much the same thing. Arcade cabinet was yeah. the first thing that came to mind. Maybe one of those Japanese capsule-style sit-down cabs with the big screens. You can have... get those super cheap. Yeah, yeah. It's just without the monitor. Mm. The monitor's the ones cost the most money. Yeah. So yeah, I would probably do that, and depending on how much money I had left over, a couple of boards, some vertical shooters or some fighting games. Mm -hmm. That thousand dollars would go really quick yes, with it arcade would. equipment. <laughs> yes, it would. <laughs> All right. Anthony Pig asks, if you could make a Mike and Ed Pixel Tunes ice cream based on your taste in music, what curious culinary confection could you conceivably concoct? That's some epic alliteration right there. A lot right of there. C's. I don't know. Well, you go first. Uh, well, it's a Mike and Ed flavored, so it's it's a oh. combination of us. Oh, I figured it was, like, individual. No, I figure there would be some, like... There's got to be peanut butter in there. Oh, so you're going with regular flavors. I was oh, going oh, more like... <laughs> you mean human flavors? I was well, going to go with dog food flavors. Cur I saw Curious Culinary Confection, and I'm like, well, I like industrial music, so there would be, like, some Rusty Bolts in there. You know, there would Gross. be, like... Exactly, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be edible. Hairspray. Hairspray? Yeah. Do you like hair metal? You, well, you know, metal. It's a lot okay. of hairspray and yeah. metal, regardless. Yeah, true, true. Um, some corpse paint. Yeah, corpse paint. <laughs> corpse paint drizzle. Yeah. Some, uh, some of those, like, bullet... Thing. I don't know. I never got into the the super crazy hardcore metal style. Not that I'm knocking yeah, yeah, yeah. it. Like Demu Borger. Yeah, yeah, like I never wore corpse paint. I never wore the bullet things around bullet my belts. arms. Bullet belts and all that spikes stuff. And stuff. The spikes. I never got into that. I wore... Um, Most metalheads are just like black t-shirts and ripped jeans. Right. You black t-shirts, ripped jeans. That was pretty much my style. Once in a while, a black sweatband around their wrist if they're a Metallica fan or something. Right, but right, right. that's about as far as you get. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really... I'm not sure how to answer the question. Grunge, maybe slice. Yeah, some. like, you know, the ice cream cone will be wrapped in flannel. Yeah. <laughs> like drumsticks. <laughs> like drumsticks Just wrapped hanging out of there. Yeah, yeah. Um, you get to the bottom and you get a, a YM2612 chip. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's your, that's your treat at the end of it. Yes. Yep. All right. That's... What's our last question? All right. This one is from uh, Keyglyph, otherwise known as Emily from the VGM Jukebox. What were the other podcast titles you guys considered before settling on Pixel Tunes Radio? We had talked about this uh, a couple episodes ago. Yeah. We were talking about our... Uh, that was our anniversary episode, right? Yeah, that was a while ago. Well, we had another... Yeah. No, there was another Pixel Chat question that asked... Something similar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I know Emily's kind of... She, she we, we, we talk fairly often. She's... Um, 
listening to our most current ones, but then also going back, going back. through our old ones and listening in order as well. So I, I think um, I remember sitting on the couch on my couch with you. Yeah, you would come over with apartment. a pad and paper or whatever, and we were sitting down and we were like, "All right, you know, let's figure out a name." And I, I think Pixel came up really quickly. See, I thought it came up rather later. I, we were we were looking at stuff that included the word VGM in it. Mm. I know we had VGM radio. Right. Um, we, we we weren't, like, using the web at all at first. We would just come up with names and then see if they were taken. Right. Because we didn't want to clutter ourselves with too many already taken names because that would kind of skew our vision. So, right. But VGMradio.com is already a website. Retrowave was already taken. I think we, we did, like, variations on retro, yeah. retro radio or something retro like that. Pixel. I think, yeah, radio was something that I wanted to use the entire time. So right. I was kind of trying to find words to fit in front of it. There's I a think, lot of stuff out there with the word radio in front I, of it. I'm almost positive RetroPixel was one that we were going to use. So it would have been, like, yeah. RetroPixel. Well, it was, like, pixel, RetroTunes. Pixel Retro. Retro radio or something like yeah, that. Yeah, but I think also retro we, tunes, we, maybe, we, yeah. we kind of stopped using the word retro because mm. we had realized that we weren't only going to be playing retro stuff. We right. wanted to kind of, there are a lot of really popular podcasts out there that only focus on the retro stuff. True. We, we wanted to do everything. Everything, yeah. yeah. So we, we kind of you know left the, the, the retro out and decided the pixels are still kind of something that's always in video games. Mm-hmm. We can use that. We're going to be playing tunes, so pixel tunes kind of <laughs> went. Poly, polygon tunes radio. Yeah, and then, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Anti-alias tunes radio. Yeah, yeah. Blast um, processing tunes radio. <laughs> well, that would be specifically Genesis. Well, yeah. Yeah, so we figured that out, and then we wanted to do it in kind of a radio format. Originally, we had two songs back-to-back. And, you know, the skits and the radio sketches yeah. and stuff like that. So it was going to be kind of like, because we both had, did college radio, so I right. wanted to kind of bring that into it. The show's really changed, though. I mean, if you go, like, I've gone back and listened to older episodes. I, I don't know why we thought it would be a good idea to have those two tracks, like, back-to-back like yeah, that. Yeah. It made so much more sense when we started doing it where we would talk about the track after we listen to right. it and then we you know just repeat the process because it makes more sense to discuss things once the songs are already yeah. played so people know what we're talking about it depends too sometimes like with um, some of those arcade games that we were doing like Metamorphic Force I think we jumped back on doing back to back like that yeah just because that that kind of made more sense yeah um, because we were kind of going through the game in order so right. we didn't really have to worry about that too much yep yep um, so yeah that's, that's pretty much that I, I think that I can see if I can find that notebook and see if <laughs> those were listed somewhere. Yeah, it'd be cool we to like scan in and post on yeah, our on our cool. Facebook group. To, we wrote to, down a bunch. Yeah, so I'll I'll see if I can find that and I'll I'll put that up if I can. So that pretty much answers all those questions. Like I said, guys, you sent in some really awesome questions. There were just way too many for us to answer on one show. <laughs> yeah. The rest of them we will answer next episode. Spooky if you, tunes. If you have any more questions to ask, uh, shoot us an email at pixeltunesradio at gmail.com and we will put it in our queue to be answered. We promise we will answer every single question unless A, it's already been asked before or B, it's like insanely personal like, What's your know. process? Yeah, I think we've done that. <laughs> yeah, before. yeah, yeah. How many bowel movements do you have a week? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Too many. <laughs> Twenty. <laughs> Thousand. <laughs> I'm pooping right now as we speak. <laughs> All right, so let us get into the subject matter of the show. This is Silent Hill. And we have a special guest with us today. Mike, why don't you introduce him? Yes, he is my fellow multi-tapped pal, Avalanche Jared, on YouTube. He does amazing videos and reviews of games of 
you know, yesterday and, you know, some of the newer games, mostly in like RPGs and um, I would say like survival horror games. So thanks for joining us on the show. Absolutely. Absolute pleasure. So, yeah, tell us a little bit about like what you cover and like some of the, the things that you do on your YouTube channel. Well, I, uh, I used to have a plan where I was like, oh, I'll cover this or that or the other thing. And now it just comes down to like what I'm interested in. Like at the moment, I decide to review a game. So, uh, you know, my interests are are a little weird. You know, I play fighting games competitively, but at the same time, like 80% of my game collection is RPGs. But then also I like atmospheric horror games. So it just kind of depends on on what I'm into playing at that moment. Right now I'm going through like a, a six month strategy RPG binge. (laughs) <laughs> so, it's, you know, it, I don't know. It's weird. It's hard to explain because then I'd have to, like, actually think about it, and then it, it just wouldn't work anymore. Yeah, that sounds a lot like us. I mean, we, we just kind of, like, do a show on whatever we feel like doing at the time. If, if a particular game is coming out and we're in that mood to do, like, Star Fox or Zelda or something, we'll just say, hey, let's make the theme, and we go for it. So yeah. it works out well that way because we're behind it and we're excited about it. So what is your take on the Silent Hill series? I know you've done at least a couple videos about the Silent Hill series, and that's kind of why we, we wanted to have you on because Mike is completely devoid of any information when it comes <laughs> right. to this, so I need I, somebody I to talk know. to. Of course. <laughs> I, I, have, I have one experience which we'll talk about when we cover the game, so... Okay. No, all right. Yeah. All right. You know, this is kind of like a, a cool little return to form because the first video I ever made, like the first time I ever had any experience with video editing or recording gameplay was Silent Hill 3, and that's kind of like the, why I started Avalanche Reviews is because Silent Hill 3 is just this incredible, groundbreaking game for me. And I just wanted more people to know about it because if you go on the internet, it's Silent Hill 2, Silent Hill 2, Silent Hill 2. That's the only yeah, game right. that exists. It's the only game that anybody talks about. It's the artsy game that if you want to sound deep, you say you like. So I was like, no, <laughs> Silent Hill 3, let's, let's, let's get them on board. So it was the first review I made. Probably the worst thing anyone's ever uploaded to YouTube. <laughs> I don't know. I've seen my first review. <laughs> I've, I've never really considered Silent Hill 2 to be like hipster media, but at that that makes a lot of sense, actually. Uh, yeah. I mean, and, and the thing is, is if you want to be a serious game critic, you have to have a good opinion of Silent Hill 2, it seems yeah. like. Not so much in, in the mainstream sector, but if you're on YouTube and you make your money off of like Patreon and you want your fans to know I take games seriously... Once every two videos, you have to put in a plug. Oh, by the way, you know, Silent Hill 2 is one of my greatest. No. You know, and it's a great game. Uh, but getting off the subject, the series just means a lot to me. And it's, it's, it's something that if I'm feeling down or if I'm feeling happy or something like that, I can use Silent Hill to alter my mood and just a weird, put myself in a, like a thoughtful frame of mind. Mm-hmm. I'm glad I'm on the show because the music is 70% of that. I just picture like Jared sitting down with the controller in hand, like smile like ear to ear, just like, yay, <laughs> Silent Hill. <laughs> I, it, it, it is very close to that. I don't know what it is, but I like putting myself in, in game worlds that are just ultimately immersive. That's why I play like the Stalker games and, you know, the Resident Evils and the Silent Hills because mm-hmm. the gameplay isn't so challenging that it's not like you're you're not uh, speed running it. So it's, it's, it's mostly just running around with a lot of quiet time. And mm-hmm. that's why I like survival horror games and Silent Hill takes that running around with a lot of quiet time and then starts making you think like, am I really a person? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, 
I'm glad that you said like music was 70% of the experience for you because that's almost the same way it is for me. I mean, the I think the soundtracks are what drew me into the series to begin with, just after kind of briefly playing Silent Hill on the PlayStation and then kind of hearing those those organic, grinding, mechanical sounds in the background and being like, this is really cool stuff. It's it's not any sort of a soundtrack I've ever heard before. And I'm I'm really into industrial and industrial metal myself, so right. that really spoke to me. And I'm like, I need to hear more of this. And uh, a pal of mine had the OST, like the, 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 the retail Japanese disc, and let me borrow it. And I was like, this whole thing is amazing. So then every Silent Hill that came out, I was like, Okay, Silent Hill's coming out, and that's great, but that means a new soundtrack, and it made me even happier, so... (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the series on a whole. Silent Hill is a Japanese survival horror video game franchise directed and created by Keiichiro Toyama. It was developed and published by Konami Digital Entertainment, and the first four video games in the series, so Silent Hill uh, 1, 2, 3, and 4, otherwise known as The Room, were developed by an internal group called Team Silent and they worked within Konami Computer Entertainment Tokyo. And there were games that came after that, like Origins, Homecoming, Shattered Memories, Downpour, and Book of Memories, and they were developed by other companies like Climax. So a lot of people don't consider those to be really canon to the Silent Hill experience, and they definitely feel a lot different. We'll kind of talk about that as the show goes on. There have also been movies on the game, comic books based on the game, so there's a lot of other media that centers around the Silent Hill franchise. So Silent Hill, the first one in particular, was released in 1999 worldwide, and it follows a character called Harry Mason, who's on his way to vacation in the town of Silent Hill with his daughter, Cheryl. And he comes across this ghostly apparition of a little girl on the road, veers off course, crashes into like a rock or a tree, and then wakes up to find that Cheryl is missing. And the game starts with Harry venturing into the town of Silent Hill, trying to find his lost daughter and realizing that things are really not kosher and nothing is as it seems. So a couple adaptions of this game have been released, namely Silent Hill Shattered Memories, which came out on the Wii. And then there was a visual novel on the Game Boy Advance in 2001. But we'll talk about the game a little bit more when we come back from our first track. We're going to introduce the soundtracks with the theme from Silent Hill by composer Akira Yamaoka.
Welcome back. That was Silent Hill, and that was the theme from Silent Hill. Yep, that was composed by Akira Yamaoka. This was probably, well, this was the first musical track I've ever heard in a Silent Hill game. This basically plays during the uh, CG, almost like a movie trailer to the game before the game starts. Yeah. And the first thing I remember, because I I played the game and it was pretty new, you know, so this came out in 99, so the PlayStation had been out for a little while. But I remember thinking to myself that it sounds like nothing like a video game music track. You know, music nowadays for video games sounds more like this, but back then there was a very specific video game music sound, or it was like hard rock or techno, and this this was, this was just different. So I knew this, there was something special about it, and it sounded like very X-Files, Twin Peaks, very kind of creepy and, and spooky. But it still had that 90s vibe to it. I mean, you've got that backbeat that yeah. just screams 90s. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. industrial, like a dazzled beat. And that mandolin, like really cool stuff. Yeah, And yeah. Uh, it's got like a Latin, Italian vibe to it. Exactly. What, what was your impression, Jared? Um, it's pretty much the same as you. Uh, I, I remember renting Silent Hill and playing it, and just like you said, that intro starts off, and the intro CG cutscene is just like nothing you saw in a game, because it was almost like, like a pre-roll before a show, where mm. it was like last time on Silent Hill, you know what I mean? Like, there's <laughs> yeah. key scenes from the movie, which get you hyped up and want to play it, and the scenes from the movie are making it feel like a serious drama, but then they're playing this music with this dark, dark undertone, so while the visuals they're not showing any of the the monsters the psychological aspects of the game it, it looks more like a drama to me if you watch it without the music yeah and really then the music the characters yeah and, and and the music puts in your head there's more to meets the eye here you know, there's there's something dark going on and you can't quite explain why you feel that way and after a little bit you go maybe it's because this song is is making me feel really weird <laughs> <laughs> I like how um, there's a like almost like a voice sample, like three quarters of the way through the song, and it's a woman yep. crying, and mm-hmm. you know that is I forget who it was, it was either like Lisa or Alessa, in the in that cutscene where but she's actually crying, and they 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 basically that's the only vocal sample that you hear, mm-hmm. and they they leave it in on the retail version of the soundtrack, which is cool because it kind of takes you by surprise there you're like oh i didn't i didn't hear that and that makes the song even even creepier it was really absolutely cool. yeah and you know i'm i'm literally in the same boat when i first heard that it wasn't while playing the game it was i actually i this is dating myself somewhat but i i went on napster and i typed in silent hill just to find <laughs> this song and i was listening to it and you listen to it a couple times and you don't really notice that until you do and then it starts messing with your head even more because yeah. i mean just like i said this song there's such a dark sound to it, even though, like you said, that mandolin almost have it like the way it's being picked kind of makes it sound a little more upbeat. But then it's got this like the dark melody behind it. And then you hear this girl crying and it just it just switches it all up for me. Yeah. I love it. I can I can only imagine if it were like a low quality MP3 from Napster that that cry would be like kind of buried in the music. You know, like, oh, absolutely. I just, yeah. Did I really just hear that? Because I think that's the first thing I thought when I first heard it. I was like, did. Was that a cry? Like, I couldn't figure it out if that was my brain playing tricks on me mm-hmm. or if it was really there. It was, it was interesting. So let's talk a little bit about the development of the game. So the game was developed by a Konami team called Team Silent, and they were kind of like a band of misfits, almost like Angels in the Outfield or like Mighty Ducks were these these 
guys that didn't work well with others and they, they didn't successfully do their jobs on other projects that Konami had given them, they kind of banded them all together and were like, here, we have this concept for this kind of answer to the Resident Evil series which was coming out, and we want you guys to come up with a concept for the game and make the game. And so... I guess Konami's original plan that they gave them was to be kind of a combat-oriented, almost basically like a Resident Evil ripoff. Right, right. And so director Keiichiro Toyama and Hiroyuki Owaku, who was the lead programmer, Toyama was more of a fan of like the spooky stuff, so like X-Files and, and Twin Peaks and some of that stuff that I mentioned before. And Owaku really liked horror movies. So together, as leads on the game, they kind of put their heads together and were like, how can we create a game that kind of meshes our two interests together. So there's occult elements, and there's horror elements, and there's like little sci-fi joke elements in there, depending on if you get the right ending or not. But so they, they kind of mooshed all this together, and I think it worked out really well. I wonder if they've seen that show Millennium. That's what that reminds me of. Is like, Yes, well, Millennium came out afterwards, but... Right, but that you game... say X-Files and Twin Peaks meets, like, horror. Yeah. That's, like, right in that Exactly, game, exactly. You know? Like, Event Horizon with less sci-fi, but right. that same kind of concept going hmm. behind it. Yeah. So, there was a gentleman on the team named Takeyoshi Sato, and he originally was, like, low man on the totem pole. He was supposed to be doing, like, font design, uh, file sorting, just putting together the file trees for the CD to, to speak to the right files in the game. He was a really good 3D artist. From what I read, he kind of like bugged the team about it. He's like, I can do character design, I can do all this stuff, and they're like, nah, kid, get out of here. We don't really care about right. what you can do. So he mocked up uh, 3D rendering of one of the first cutscenes of the game by himself, like completely on his own, and showed it to his superiors. And they were like, whoa, dude, this is really good. And he finally convinced them to have himself work on the CG for the game. So. Konami in Team Silent's office didn't have like the firepower or the technology to do that CG plus all the game programming stuff. So what he would do is basically program all the CG during the day and after hours to render the scenes, he would network all of the work team's computers together and use that to render the CG at mm. night as, as everybody went home and, and slept. So wow. he kind of like was full time on this thing. It was kind of like an unplanned feature in the game that that really made the game much more atmospheric oh for sure yeah and you know the crazy thing was too is is even after he proved himself to the higher-ups in konami and pretty much in in konami fashion they still wanted something out of the deal so he also had to while he was clocked in you know he was coming in at night and rendering these things on his own and that was kind of like his his i'll placate you and I won't do it while everybody's cut because they need those computers for coding and whatnot. Yeah. But he also, at the same time, was teaching other team members, not Team Silent members, but uh, other Konami staff, his 3D rendering like skills. Yep. And like he was, he was holding workshops pretty much for Konami while he was clocked in, in order for them to let him come in at night to render these scenes. The guy was huh. a workaholic. That's wow. crazy, and and it worked out in his benefit too because he ended up becoming. CG director for the next game with a team under him. Basically, everybody he taught CG rendering during Silent Hill One were now his underlings for Silent Hill Two for that mm. for that section of the game. So, yeah. so you know, his his hard work definitely paid off. So, Akira Yamaoka became composer on the game, kind of almost by accident. There was originally a composer scheduled to do the music for the game 
Uh, I've, I've searched around the internet. I don't know who that, that person was, but he ended up, he or she ended up leaving Konami. And Akira Yamaoka, who had originally been with Konami since like 1993 and did Contra Hardcore, Sparkster, Rocket Knight Adventures 2, uh, Snatcher, a couple other PC Engine and Sega CD games, he got wind of this project and he was an industrial music fan himself and he was like, this is the project for me, I need to do this. So he went to Team Silent and was like, you guys gotta let me have this job, I really want to compose music for this game. So he worked up some stuff, uh, put it in like the, the work builds that they were doing throughout the day and the music that was playing in the background, the team that was playing the game thought there was a bug in the audio because it was so, you know, everything's yeah. static and, and going nuts. And they were like, well, your audio is broken. There must be something wrong with the compression. And Akira's like, no, this is, this is how it's supposed to sound, guys. And they all kind of looked at him with one eyebrow up. Mm -hmm. And so he had to, again, just like Sato did, go to with the higher ups and be like, look, this is the right sound direction for the game. This is my vision and eventually ended up convincing them to, you know, have that particular style of soundtrack for Silent Hill. Mm -hmm. And it worked out because he ended up going for the next four games or five games. So it was yeah. pretty cool. All right. So let's go on to our next track for the game. This is Jared's pick. This is Fear of the Dark from Silent Hill 1, composed by Akira Yamaoka. Welcome back. That was Fear of the Dark, composed by Akira Yamaoka for Silent Hill on the PlayStation. So, Jared, this was your pick. Tell us why you chose this one for the show. A, a million different reasons. Uh, <laughs> I Akira Yamaoka, when you think of Silent Hill and you think of playing the game, you think of the more industrial, grinding, just almost non-music tracks of the game and it fits so well while you're playing but when I want to listen to a, a Nakira Yamoka song I tend to gravitate more towards his ambient soft uh, melodic music on the soundtracks and this is one of the ones that I think it, it encapsulates what he's good at which is like uh, Nobuo Uematsu he can make a song that by itself can reference the the scene that that song was used in you can get a, an idea of what's going on in the game while that music's playing just yeah. by listening to the music you know and that's why i love it so much absolutely mike what did you think about this one it's a pretty creepy track i mean it's uh reminded me a lot of some of the stuff from castlevania 64 oh, um, definitely 
Yeah, just like that real ambient sound that, uh, you know, I, I dig ambient music. I, I more listen to it when I need to get to sleep because mm-hmm. it kind of calms me down, actually, because all the music that I listen to normally is just so crazy and energetic. So yeah. when I need to listen to something chill and relax, this is... It's, this had a very like uh, tangerine dream kind of vibe to it. Ooh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I I dug it. It was good. This is not the kind of stuff that I listen to outside of video game music. And I'm I'm, I'm actually one of the reasons I'm glad you're on the show, Jared, is because you're picking songs you know that are more in this kind of ambient soundscape kind of scenario. Because yeah. I, I would never have even thought to pick this for the show. I'm I'm really all about the aggressive electronics and the heavy beats. That's just kind of how I roll in terms of my music preference. Mm -hmm. So within the context of the game, these tracks, and specifically this one, really help to pad out that atmospheric uh, feel that you get throughout the game. For me, at least with the Silent Hill 1 soundtrack, a lot of these more ambient ones, I tend to just kind of like, I'll listen to them, but I totally forget that they're there. Hmm. And whether that has some kind of a psychological effect on me in the background or not, I'm not really sure. But then when the more industrial stuff comes on, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is the stuff right. I'm here for. And, you know, I'll listen to it more. So obviously, of course, I don't have much Silent Hill experience other than two. But one thing I will say is that when I compare this soundtrack in this game to the Resident Evil series, which I'm much, much more familiar with. Mm-hmm. I would say that when you're listening to, like, for example, Resident Evil's soundtrack, it, it has a lot to compare with these types of tracks, more so than the more industrial tracks yeah. that you're used to, Ed. But this track in particular reminded me a lot of the Save Room music. Oh, for sure. Those little plinky piano. Yeah, 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 definitely. Just like really relaxed, like calming. Because most of the other game that you're listening to is crazy and just really energetic and really like dark and evil sounding and terrorizing. But here you've got something a lot more laid back and it's it's more like investigatory like... That that's kind of the feel and the vibe that I get from yeah, this yeah. track, oh, for and that, sure. that's yeah. the way this game is too. I mean, there are there are areas where you know there are going to be enemies and your life is in danger, but then there are puzzle rooms and exploration rooms and rooms where you're just kind of gathering information. Where you know that if this kind of music is playing in the background, you're pretty much safe. There isn't going to yeah. be any sort of danger lurking about your you uh, you carry around a radio with you in the game, and you can kind of gauge the proximity of your enemies based on how much static is coming out of this radio. So Silent Hill itself, and one of the reasons why Team Silent kind of introduced the idea of Silent Hill being completely enshrouded by fog at all times is because they wanted to keep the frame rate up, they wanted to keep the textures very gritty and very detailed and the enemies very fast so they were like, well how can we accomplish this? And they're like, well we have to kill the draw distance on the game to make less polygons visible. So very so much N64 like fog? very much like N64 yeah. volumetric fog yeah, they, they basically cut your field of, of view so that they could make more complex models in the game and so the first Silent Hill is so foggy. Oh my god! It's they 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 lightened it up on the later games in the series because they didn't need to do it so much. But it's like mm-hmm. you're walking into a wall of white, and um, there's like little snowflakes falling too. So that even kind of increases the the sense of claustrophobia that you get even when you're walking around outside. Now, yeah. have either of you guys seen the movies at all? I saw the first one, but not the second one. Okay, yes. I have uh, sadly I've seen both of them. Um, the first <laughs> one I. 
I'm just gonna come out and say it, and it's very unpopular among like the the hardcore Silent Hill fans. But the first one was a really good movie, I think. Yeah, I enjoyed it too. I thought it was really good. It wasn't. A, a lot of people get really upset because oh, that's not the story of Silent Hill, and I'm like, no. But it's a really cool homage to the story of Silent Hill. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it, it incorporates elements of like a bunch of the different games and right. Into, yeah, there's yeah. pyramid heads in it, and the movie itself is based on the first movie really loosely, though. Or the first sorry, game. the first game, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But Pyramid Head didn't appear until the second. Game. Right. Exactly. Yeah. See, a lot of fans hate the term when people say, "Oh, it was a love letter to the fans," because the fans wanted just Silent Hill. The Silent Hill 1 story lends itself really well to a movie. I thought that this was a fun interpretation of some guy. Obviously, this guy got the mythology wrong. He wasn't He wasn't either. He wasn't informed or he hadn't played through the game enough times to understand what was going on with the cult aspects and stuff. And yeah. his interpretation was, all right, it's a mom now. And now we have like puritanical Christians. And I just, I still thought it was in the same vein as what Silent Hill is, just with somebody else at the reins. And I, I think it, it hit all the major key points for me. Uh, sadly, the second one is just just a hot garbage fire that just never stopped burning. <laughs> Uh, I will say that I like the first Silent Hill movie better than any of the Resident Evil movies, but oh, that's for sure. a whole nother topic. Yeah, 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 for sure. I, I you know, I, I read the reviews of Silent Hill 2, the movie, and I was like, as much as I really wanted to see it, I, I was just, I just decided not to. Maybe, yeah. maybe I'll, I'll, I'll download it one day, or you know, get it from Redbox or something, and pay a buck for it or whatever. But it was nothing that I really wanted to go see in the movie theaters. You're yeah, better off. I, You're better off, man. <laughs> I, I remember being really hyped for it, actually, and I wanted to go see it in the theater because I think it came out right around this time of the year, you know, which is the perfect time for it to come out. Yeah. But yeah. I just, I don't know. I just didn't end up going to see it, which happens more often than not when it comes to movies. The second one, is it was by a different director, but the guy who took up the reins on the second one just thought he would do a mashup of the entire series with a focus on characters from the third game, mm. which... I, I, I was really excited about because the third game is that's just my, that's my heart and that's, that's yep. my video game and to see Heather the girl looked like Heather and I was like yeah. oh this is going to be great and even if you take the Silent Hill mythos out of it and you watch it as a movie it's poorly cut it's, it's it has really terrible dialogue and there's no cohesion between scenes so I remember there was one scene where Heather was looking for somebody and then there was just a quick cut and there was no explanation of how she got in like a place that was like two buildings down from where she is, and her head just literally rises from the bottom of the screen. I was like, "Ah, oh. <laughs> <laughs> don't do this to me." That's kind of how I feel about Resident Evil Two Apocalypse. You know, they kind of are still, and even to this day, they're forcing this character Alice down your throat, and you're just like, "Dude, just make it about the games." Yeah. So. You know, I, I can kind of relate to that because, you know, that that's kind of my jam. And, and to see the second movie go through that same thing, it's like, oh, it's like, what were you thinking? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's unfortunate. So before we get into Silent Hill 2, let's uh, just talk a little bit about the plot of Silent Hill 1. I know we're running a little long. Um, as we said before, you know, Harry Mason and his daughter Cheryl get into this crash. Cheryl is gone. Harry is wandering around the town of Silent Hill. And Jared, you want to you want to kind of take it a little bit from there? Absolutely, yeah. Um, so he's looking for his daughter, and the characters you encounter throughout the game, it's almost like in, in a regular horror game, you're cut off from the world, and then you meet a character, and you're like, oh, thank God, a moment of respite. 
but instead, uh, these people are so off-putting. Like you meet yeah. Dahlia, and she just speaks in this religious, babbling fervor. And then, and then you meet like the director of the hospital, and 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 he's like a paranoid, schizophrenic almost. Yeah. So th- there's not that resting time where everything's going to be okay when you meet a character. It's more like, what am I going to have to figure out here? He kind of ends up getting involved in this overall plot of a a demonic cult that's trying to bring their god back into existence. And his daughter ended up being the product of their initial attempt at doing that. Dahlia, the cult leader, her daughter had psychic powers and she seemed to be the best vessel for bringing this god back into existence because throughout the games you notice a, a, a trend of somebody has to be impregnated and physically bring this being into the world. So Dahlia thought her daughter having psychic powers would be the perfect vessel. During the process, her daughter decided this wasn't the best thing to do for everybody and split herself psychically and, and into two different entities. And Harry's daughter ended up being that entity and coming back to Silent Hill when he's trying to find her, what she's really doing is, is becoming one with Alessa, Dahlia's daughter. And she's now able to do things psychically she wasn't able to as two different people. And it, it, it kind of snowballs into a much deeper plot. But if you had to simplify it, it's dad's looking for daughter. Daughter ends up being a part of a psychic being that could birth <laughs> a terrible god into existence. Exactly. And, uh, you know, you meet a couple characters along the way. Sybil, I think, Sybil Bennett, who's a female cop from the next town over, Brahms, she's like the only sane one in the entire game. Everyone else you meet is like, there's Lisa, who's a nurse at the hospital. She's like, really kind of like scared, witless. She's friendly, but again, a little off-putting. Kaufman, the director of the hospital, like you said, he's, he's just kind of really off and you know you learn more about him as you go through the game mm-hmm. um so yeah none of these characters are really safe people that you really want to travel with aside from maybe sybil but sybil's like this badass and she's always like i'm gonna go do my own thing you do your thing dude yeah. like you know i'm a cop you've just lost your daughter but hope, hope you find her uh it's just it's just crazy nobody's acting how you would expect them to act in a town like this yes definitely so Let's move into Silent Hill 2. The game was released in September of 2001 for the PlayStation 2, and later that same year on the Xbox, I'd also had a HD port that came out for the PS3 and Xbox 360 in 2012. Uh, This one focuses on James Sunderland, and he received a note from his dead wife, and he comes back to Silent Hill to find out why that is. So, let's take a listen to our first track. This one is called The Reverse Will from Silent Hill 2 by Akira Yamaoka.
Welcome back. That was Silent Hill 2, and that track was called The Reverse Will. I can't help but think of Stranger Things. Yeah. The Reverse Will, like the, oh, upside, for sure. the upside Down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, there's a lot of parallels between that series and this series, too. You know, yeah. two, mm -hmm. different, two different dimensions. One is evil, one is good. Right. Um, things are leaking through to the other side. Yeah, and, and this is the thing, too. The fun, like, hey, let's talk about Silent Hill side of me always says the same thing you just said. Like, yeah, there's a lot of parallels. And then, like, the, the jerk hardcore Silent Hill mythology part of me says like no it wasn't a multiple dimensions yeah, yeah, yeah. it was in the same dimension damn <laughs> <laughs> but I mean yeah on on the surface 100% you would be hard pressed not to find you know less than 10 similarities between the two problems yeah exactly and and you know you're right it's that the so when Silent Hill kind of turns evil it's it's more like the manifestations of whatever the psychic person behind it all is in that particular game so it's not really like they're traveling yeah. to another place in time it's yeah they're, they're kind of just more or real. less like they're being affected by what's yeah, in their head yeah exactly so for silent hill 2 as far as some development stuff goes takeyoshi sato was now the director of cg he helped create the story and wrote some of the dialogue for the game alongside silent hill 1's programmer hiroyuki uwaku akiriyama oka composed the music of silent hill it only took them three days to write the theme of Laura, which is one of the most popular, like, famous songs from the series. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, you'll hear the melody from Theme of Laura appear in a lot of different uh, Silent Hill tracks going throughout the series. I think maybe even one we're playing today will have something something from the Theme of Laura in there. In interviews, Yamaoka said he doesn't consider a melody to be the most important element of a music piece, and I think that really shows in his music, and probably why I like it so mm -hmm. much. You know, we've talked about this recently Mike and I about how he's very melody oriented and I'm very groove and percussion oriented when it comes to our our preferences in music and I think one of the reasons why I do like his stuff so much is that he focuses on patterns and grooves and beats and melody kind of comes secondary if it's specifically for this song it was an interesting idea because here you have if you listen to the melody that comes in you know, it's two different things because the notes sound like it should be soothing, but I don't know if it's the levels or the uh, the intensity of it. It's it's not soothing, even though the 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 instrumentation kind of puts you in this mindset like, oh, this is going to be a soothing song and everything's going to be okay. But it, it's a little hectic the way everything's kind of put in there, and it's 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 perfect Yamoka. I mean. That's that's what he does. He 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 wants you looking one way so he can do something else, and he does it with all of his music. Like you said, he's very percussion oriented and stuff. And he's also what I really like is his timing signatures when he writes music is off the wall. Yeah. You know, like most of the songs that I will listen to in my free time of Yamaoka is gonna be his his more melodic stuff because his more melodic stuff follows your more typical song structure. You know what I mean? If you listen to a song on the radio, you know, you'll hear this gets repeated four times, then it's the chorus. And Yamoka follows that similar kind of style when he's writing these softer, more melodic songs. But when you go in and listen to his industrial stuff, you know, things repeat like twice and then you never hear him again and it just freaks you out and I <laughs> and I love that. It's just when I'm when I want to listen to Silent Hill music, I typically I want to mellow out and calm down. And then you have those industrial drums and then somebody's screaming being sampled over and over again in the <laughs> song. 
and I mean, it's amazing. Well, it's funny you were saying that because the reverse yeah. vocals in this song, if you do play the song backwards, it's that, that children's prayer to God, now I lay me down to sleep, pray the Lord my soul to keep. Enter Sandman. Well, yeah, that's Metallica made it popular, <laughs> obviously, but it was written in the 18th century. And, uh, and it's really cool because you find a lot of that stuff throughout Silent Hill where there's like, you know, embedded, weird, distorted sounds that if you play it backwards or if you kind of like take the bass out, you can, you can finally figure out what it's, you know, what the sound really is. But it kind of leaves your ears kind of guessing as to what you're listening to. And as, as far as industrial music goes, like my favorite kind of industrial music is where I'm listening to it and I can't figure out how they made that sound. Like I can mm. tell, you know, it's, it's easy to tell, oh, that's a chord keyboard or, you know, that's a Kurzweil or that's a guitar. But there's sometimes like, especially with like bands like Skinny Puppy where you're listening to it and you're like, I don't, I don't even know how you did that. Like what kind of instrument did you start with that you can distort into that kind of a sound? And, and I love that kind of stuff. And you can hear that so much in the Silent Hill series. So let's get into our next track. Uh, this one is Jared's pick. This one is called Forest, again, from Silent Hill 2 by Akira Yamaoka. get over this letter I received. It's from my wife, Mary, but she's dead. She wrote that she wants me to meet her in Silent Hill. Is she still alive? I need to find out. We stayed at the hotel on Toluca Lake when we vacationed here. Maybe I'll check that place out first. Hello? Well, where is everyone? This whole town is empty. Something's not right here. What the hell? The whole world is melting. The walls are covered in... Butter? And... Oh, extra virgin olive oil. Mmm. Hello. Ah, no. 
I, I swear, I, I wasn't just licking the walls. I, uh, uh, oh, what, what the hell are you? They call me Pyramid Head. My real name is Charles, but nobody seems to care. Anyways, I'm the manifestation of your deepest secrets and torments. I have something for you. Uh, is that a giant bread knife? Oh, yeah, I guess it is. That explains what's in store for you. Gaze upon this. That's like, uh, some sort of a triangular biscuit thing. Pyramid bread? Uh, I don't know. I'm sorry, what? I said pyramid bread. Look, didn't you want to become like a baker or something and never told anyone? That was my dream, to open Sunderland Farms and harvest wheat and make my own baked goods. I was gonna open a shop right here in Silent Hill. James, you have to overcome your deepest secrets to save this town. You must open a bake shop. Sunderland Farms must become a reality. Do I have to? I mean, these walls are pretty darn tasty. Stop that. But take this giant butter knife and this bloody chef's hat and get to work. But, oh, fine. That's right. Come on down to Sunderland Farms, conveniently located on the corner of Toluca Avenue and Riverside Drive. Get your picture taken with Pyramid Head from 1 to 3. Enjoy the ribbon cutting at 4. And stick around for the birth of a new god at 545. Kids get eaten free! Welcome back. That was Silent Hill 2. And that track was Forest. And again, composed by Akira Yamaoka. That's very Twin Peaks to yeah. me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I love how Akira Yamaoka is so varied that you and I can have a completely different taste in his own library. That's so funny. Yeah. I love it. That's so cool. <laughs> and But the thing that unites both of these tastes, because you like the more industrial, uh, grating kind of nasty sound and the more energetic stuff, and I like the more soft and, and subtle stuff, but in both of those styles, and it really comes through in this song, is Akira Yamaoka knows how to write emotion into his music. And, and I mean, just listen, it's, it's such a weird idea to me that I can hear an instrument and then think of an emotion it makes me feel. And, and this song, it, the way, like the point of the game that it plays at, and I might be biased because I played it and now I know what to expect from the song, but it has mm-hmm. a mysterious kind of like, oh, I'm exploring something and I'm not quite sure what's going on feeling to it. And it does play, you know, in these more like when you meet Laura for the first time and you're talking to her and everything's supposed to be okay but there's this mysterious tone to the song you're like wait a minute am i supposed to be expecting some kind of a mysterious thing here i just i love how he can manipulate you with his music it's amazing and that's a very twin peaks thing too where you're you know watching a scene play out on the show but then the music doesn't quite fit so like you're wondering is there something going on behind this that i'm supposed to be aware of that i'm not yet and you kind of you know figure that out along the way but that works very well you know i got another 
from what Mike was saying about before, this is very typewriter room from Resident Evil. Yeah. It's got that same kind of feel to it. For sure, yeah. Um, very, very enjoyable. And l- like you said, there's always that kind of underpinning emotion of despair or sadness. This song brings out like longing in me. Oh, for sure, I guess. yeah. Like, like missing something. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> longing in you? Yeah. Like, it's like somebody's longing for something. You know, that kind of a, I got like a, a need for like, something. Like a romance novel like kind of Not like a lust you. longing yeah, well, yeah. well I mean we probably should give a little bit of a spoiler warning I know there's not a, a, yeah. a huge amount of people but it's more common knowledge but if you haven't played the game we might ruin it for you so you may want to skip ahead to the next part or something or at least read the cliffs notes there you go yeah yeah <laughs> like go watch a playthrough or something yeah. but yeah James receives a letter from his wife who had died and Silent Hill was a favorite vacation spot of theirs so the letter says meet me at Silent Hill. And so he goes there and kind of begins his journey. And so that's, you know, the kind of feeling that you get from this. You get that feeling that, you know, James is is really longing for his wife. Mm -hmm. So I feel that 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 word is kind of appropriate for this this song. Yeah, no, definitely. So so I'm going to jump in and go over my only Silent Hill experience. Do it. Hit me with it. (laughs) All right. So some of the longtime Dongle Channel people will already know about this story, but I'm going to go over it here because I don't think I've ever talked about it. Silent Hill 2 came out, and I was in college still. I was living with a good friend of mine, my buddy Kevin, and we had neighbors right next to us, this, this Asian guy, John Sam, and our very white, long-haired, ponytail guy named uh, Chuck. And Chuck, the best way to explain him is he looked like Charlie from Street Fighter Alpha. Nice. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they invite... I, I think I'd just come back from a date or something like that. And, you know, it's like maybe 12 at night, 1 in the morning, something like that. So it's dark. It's dark. It's nighttime. And uh, they have their door open, and I hear this music from Silent Hill 2. And I'm like, I was like, what are they doing? So... I kind of crack open the door and I'm like, I'm like, yo, you guys decent? And uh, they're like, yeah, yeah, no, we're we're just playing Silent Hill 2. This this game just came out like fairly recently, and I'm like, oh, cool. And I had never really heard of this. I I heard the name Silent Hill, but familiar with the name, but not the series. Exactly. So I was like, all right, let me let me pop in. Let me let me take a a gander and see what's going on. So that was at like you know one in the morning ish. We played until like almost five in the morning. Wow. Yeah, just uh, like sucks you in. Yeah, yeah, like I wasn't actually playing myself, but I was watching them play, which Mm -hmm. was really entertaining. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we're just going through, and there's all these like merry-go-rounds and like really like creepy environment and atmosphere. It was it was definitely scarier than Resident Evil. I mean, to me, Resident Evil was always like more about jump scares Mm -hmm. than than anything. But it was definitely scary. Some of the stuff was psychological, but the fact that most of it was more action-driven than Silent Hill. I was definitely more spooked by Silent Hill 2. Yeah. So I'm on my way back to, you know, next door to back to my room. And, you know, I, I was pretty I was pretty spooked. And I sit down and one of my uh, action figures fell fell down, Jill from Resident Evil. So I was like, oh, let me pick it up and let me fix it. Let me straighten it out or whatever. Now, at this point, I, had, I was starting to get ready for bed when I noticed it. So, like, my pants were off and, you know, I was just sitting around and in my boxers and my shirt or whatever and just make it except for a tie mm-hmm. yeah yeah no totally and uh I'm, I'm fixing this figure and my buddy john sam busts through the door because apparently i didn't close the door all the way <laughs> so he busts through the door and here i am on the floor in my boxers playing with this, this uh gel figure and he's just like 
caught you playing with your dolls, didn't I? And I was like, no! I was like, wait, let me explain! So that that's my only Silent Hill memory. I have Silent Hill 2 and 3. I haven't played 3 yet. I, I know I really need to do that, mm-hmm. and I really need to beat 2. It's just I haven't gotten much investment in the series. But who knows? Maybe I'll start playing it after this podcast. But I'm actually really interested in Silent Hill Shattered Memories, which I know we'll talk mm-hmm. about a little later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, mainly because we covered it on that previous, I think it was a Halloween episode that we played a track from it. I believe so. I think you picked a track from it, and I was like, really, it sounded really cool, so I just haven't been able to pick it up on, on the Wii. Cool. So you're basically saying that Silent Hill, or uh, the Silent Hill series makes you want to play with female dolphins. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm pants. getting, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, pretty appropriate. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't know. Was there a longing? Is there a longing? <laughs> yeah, there was a longing. <laughs> Definitely a longing. <laughs> Oh, boy. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jared, you want to go with a brief plot synopsis of Silent Hill 2? Absolutely. So, yeah, you, like, jumping off from where you started, you have James, who's coming to Silent Hill, and this is a guy who knows that his wife is dead, and he still gets this letter, and even though he knows his wife is dead, and he's getting this letter from this dead person, he's still following the advice on the letter, come meet me in our favorite spot in that foggy little town, and, he, you know, he's going there, and as a player, you're kind of already invested, because you're like, what, why would he be there if he knows she's dead? Like, I need to know what happens here, and it, just like Silent Hill 1, you're meeting characters, and instead of explaining the plot to you, you're coming out of cutscenes with way more questions than you... <laughs> you know come into them with and james after meeting a couple of people who sort of are in similar situations as him they're they're in silent hill and they're working through something and uh again spoiler warning for anybody who's listening but as james you meet a character that is essentially your wife i mean she looks like her and she's you know she's she's kind of more what's the word a little more outgoing more outgoing and i think what it is is that james would have desired her to be that way you know when you're with a person maybe you have these traits that they are and then in your mind you have these traits that you wish they were like and this is Mm -hmm. this is maria and you meet maria and maria now is with you and she almost becomes like a a point of like warmth she's one of the only characters that is not constantly making you question whether or not this is all real or not and 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 she's almost it's a double-bladed sword because non-stop throughout the game you're literally just witnessing her die and then she and then you find her again she's like what are you talking about i don't know you know it it, and it's just it's it's this form of punishment that james is going through and then once you figure that out the the rest of silent hill 2 becomes james's trek through his own brain and his need for punishment for you know something that is happening that it has happened in the past and and the whole game is is this weird therapy session for James and you find out that the people that you've met along the way are, are going through something similar. Yeah, it's kind of a, a weird twist where you know most of the Silent Hill games is you are experiencing the town as a nightmare of somebody else mm-hmm. whereas in Silent Hill 2 it's almost like you are the one kind of unwittingly creating your own right. Nightmares, and you're you're kind of fighting through that. So in that respect, it's a very unique game. It plays out very interestingly, and it's it's way different than a lot of the other Silent Hills, which yeah. kind of fit much more formulaic as far as like the first Silent Hill. Games. Yeah, and and if as as somebody who experienced Silent Hill on the PS1, and now you're experiencing it on the PS2, the only thing that you can see that links them together is the town of Silent Hill, 
And yeah. I know this was my thought process, but if you're a Silent Hill fan and you have only experienced Silent Hill 1 and 2, as far as you're concerned, every Silent Hill game is its own contained story where it, it, there, there are no uh, you know plot threads that follow throughout. It's just, here's the town of Silent Hill. Now something crazy is going to happen in it and you're going to play through it. And a lot of fans were kind of confused because they were expecting a sequel, you know, Silent Hill 2. This wasn't Silent Hill Revelations, you know what I mean? This wasn't uh, yeah. some offshoot. And and that's why it kind of holds a special place in the in the library. And maybe this is why people tend to look on it so fondly, is it is, you know, the game that kind of jumped off from what you thought Silent Hill was going to be. And, and it's its own story. It's self-contained, beginning, middle, and end. And, and nothing about that game has to follow into any other Silent Hill game. So it's interesting. Yeah, it's true. And going going on through the series, there were a few callbacks here and there to Silent Hill 2 that kind of help cement its place, I guess, hmm. in, the, in, in, in the world and kind of show that it did really take place in the same canon that all the other Silent Hills did. Yeah. It's just the characters never really interacted with each other. Mm. So speaking of which, let's let's move into Silent Hill 3. This was released in May of 2003 and also had a high-def version. It came out in the same package with Silent Hill 2 in 2012. This one takes place 17 years after the events of Silent Hill 1 and does kind of intertwine a lot with Silent Hill 1's Plotline. So let's take a listen to our first track. This is uh, my pick from the game. Again, Akira Yamaoka did the soundtrack to this one. This one is called Please Love Me Once More. That was Silent Hill 3, and the track was called Please Love Me Once More. Again, by Akira Yamaoka. And I this is one of my favorite songs from this game's soundtrack. Uh, I just think it embodies so much of what this particular soundtrack 
is about like industrial beats, but kind of with a more almost like a hip hop or urban feel to it. But mm. then you get these kind of Angelo Badalamenti, you know, Twin Peaks style uh, flute lines and, and acoustic guitars and like that build up at the end that just kind of stops very abruptly it's 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 emotional but it's also got a nice groove to it and then of course there's that darkness behind it too which carries throughout the whole the whole series i just think it's a really good kind of example of what most of the music in the silent hill series is all about mm-hmm. kind of reminded me of like a indie french film at points i okay. could see that yeah yeah like with the kind of almost pitter patter drum style almost like backbeat or breakbeat kind of a little bit, but like way more laid back, a lot more subdued with, you know, almost Spanish-Italian guitars. Oh, yeah, uh, for sure. It's, yeah, it's, it's got a real, like, uh, French movie vibe to it. Interesting, interesting. I always wondered, you know, coming from an industrial music background, you know, this this song, I guess, is a good example of, like, I guess a lot of people would consider, you know, that beat and that, 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 that kind of back those little like rustles in the background to be like industrial what my perception of this music is compared to people who listen to mainly pop but then kind of get into the soundtrack through the game if they think that this song is much more aggressive sounding because of those industrial sounds when i think the song is actually very soothing because i'm so used to listening to so much more of that really really aggressive like Wumscut style industrial stuff you know mm-hmm. well I mean I don't I don't listen to industrial really and um, aside from a few very you know not a lot but this it, I agree with you I think this is a very soothing track mm. okay good what's yeah, your I take on it Jared this is a good happy medium between yours and my taste in Akira Mocha's music where you have the melodic ambient sound to it but then you have the electronic drums that give you the feeling like no this isn't straight emotional there's a little bit of heaviness to this yeah definitely in interviews Akira Yamaoka has cited Trent Reznor as being one of his most I guess influential people and in terms of his musical style Mm. and I find that really interesting because I think I mentioned this a few episodes back when I did the industrial music episode but there is a Nine Inch Nails album which came out after most of the Silent Hill games called Ghosts 1 through 4 and it's essentially a series of instrumental tracks that very, very much remind me of the Silent Hill soundtrack. Jared, if you haven't heard it before, you should really seek it out and listen to it, because I think you would love it. I haven't, um, but I do like Trent Reznor a lot, so I feel like yeah, that'd be right up my alley. Definitely check it out. It's, it's just packed full of both uh, ambient soundscapes and then more kind of industrial stuff that sounds very much like this track that we just played. And so it almost sounds like, you know, Trent Reznor is Akira Yamaoka's influence, but then later on it's like Trent Reznor comes out with a soundtrack or uh, an album that almost sounds like it was influenced by Akira Yamaoka's stuff. And, and Trent has said in interviews that he's aware of the Silent Hill soundtrack and he's a gamer himself, so I wonder if, if they're passing influences back and forth to each other. It's, it's yeah. kind of interesting. I'd, I'd, I'd really like to get, you know, to hear what his influences were for that that particular ghost album but he also cites uh angelo badalamenti from from the twin peaks soundtrack metallica and depeche mode as his his main other influences so they're all very much there yeah i love depeche mode yeah and i I definitely hear a lot of depeche mode in his music yeah definitely Mm -hmm. especially albums like ultra exciter and even the the like the newer depeche mode albums like playing the angel stuff like that 
For sure, dude. So development on this game started right after Silent Hill 2 was stopped. And so this game was also being developed at the same time with Silent Hill 4, which was originally going to be a side story. And we'll get a little uh, more into that as, as the show goes on. But this is one of the first Silent Hill soundtracks that was released outside of Japan. Uh, it also came out in Europe in 2003 in Japan a month later in 2003, which was nice because then we have some English liner notes and stuff to look at. I've, I've pretty much gone and collected every single retail version of all the Silent Hill soundtracks I possibly can at this point. So the European version of the soundtrack and the Japanese are identical to each other except for, you know, the liner notes and stuff. So, but that, that will actually change when we get into Silent Hill 4. So Silent Hill 3, uh, Jared and I were talking before, is, is basically our favorite game in the series. It stars Heather Mason, who is the daughter of Harry Mason. And so people who are familiar with Silent Hill and the, the, the first game could pretty much understand that this was the little girl that Harry picked up at the end of Silent Hill 1. So, so she's this the is same the, girl. So this is officially, I guess you could say, like uh, an appropriate canon sequel to the first yeah. game. Whereas exactly. the second mm -hmm. game is more of like a a separate story that takes place in Silent Hill but doesn't involve any of the characters from the original game. Exactly. Right. And so she was raised in Portland. She's at a mall in Silent Hill and things start going kind of weird. And for, for Heather, from Heather's perspective, she has no idea who she is. You know, she thinks she's just another teenage girl shopping at a mall and suddenly she's in this boutique and gigantic monsters start coming after her. After being warned by this really creepy detective who like keeps trying to follow her around like he knows something that she's not really aware of. And then events start to unfold and she kind of comes to understand that she is basically the rebirth of the god that was trying to be birthed in Silent Hill 1. And so this cult is back on her case and they want her to um, basically purify the world through a birth of her own and create the basically cult's version of paradise, which is essentially a world full of all these monsters mm -hmm. roaming around. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Got any more details to add to that, Jared? Um, one detail, which is I absolutely love that their idea of paradise where they're like, oh yeah, there's no more want, desire, or sadness. It's just... It's, it, Mindless, it's, it's, horrifying creatures. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these, these creatures, I guess you could you know, sort of say like, yeah, yeah, I mean, they're, they're doing all right. They don't have any bills or any responsibilities. <laughs> they just kind of wander around and, you know, wear their skin all inside out. So, <laughs> oh, I love it. But yeah, it, it's just, it's, it's, it was great for me loving the story of Silent Hill 1 and how crazy it was to jump in and be back in that world with those same people. And Heather, to me, one of the most relatable video game characters I've ever seen in my life. For she, sure. She, I just feel like I, I I've hung out with somebody who acts like Heather, you know what I mean? <laughs> and and she, she's very believable. She's not a war hero who can, you know, pull off 10 hit combos without a problem. Uh, but at the same time, she's not afraid to defend herself and pick up a gun if there's one laying around. It, she was just a, a great kind of every person character. And I could see a lot of my teenage angst in her. And, and a lot of times when she gets emotional, it never feels like a, like, a, like a soap opera. It feels like this is a person who had something happen to her, and now this is a very realistic reaction to that happening, you know? Yes, yes, I'm glad you said that, because I agree totally. You know, that, that first monster that she sees, she freaks the hell out. Mm -hmm. She's not like James or Harry, where they're like, oh, a monster. I guess I ought to kill it or run away. But like, she goes berserk. Yeah. And so, you know, and eventually she comes to the... To, 
you know, after the hundredth monster or whatever, by the end of the game, she's a little tougher and a little stronger, but she she reacts very realistically to these things around her. And that's something that's kind of very fresh for this series because you're constantly kind of surprised by everybody's reaction in Silent Hill 1 and 2 where there's like crazy stuff going on, but they're kind of like... They're more like curious about it rather than terrified, and and Heather's just absolutely terrified. She's yeah. got no clue what's going on. So I really enjoyed that, and the fact that she was a younger protagonist. Um, you know, when I was playing it, she was much more relatable to me than you know somebody whose wife had just died. You know, it's kind of a harder character to relate to. So kind of more in in a line similar to Hunting Ground in that sense. Oh yeah, for you're sure. Playing as a as a young girl who you know kind of. Put gets into, into a car world. accident and has no idea what's going on. Right, yep. right, right. Yeah. Definitely. All right, so let's move on to uh, Jared's track. This one is called Dance with the Night Wind, again, from Silent Hill 3 by Akira Yamaoka.
And we're back. That was Dance with the Night Wind from Silent Hill 3, composed by Akira Yamaoka again. I really enjoy this track. This definitely reminds me of a certain part of the game (laughs) where something major happens to Heather, and she realizes that this game is probably much more serious than she was making it out to be. But Jared, why, why, why'd you pick this track? Um, I think it, it represents... Uh, I, the game and and the soundtrack, I think they, they mirror each other. I think the game, this is like peak Silent Hill. This is when everybody perfected their craft and they went into it with the greatest effort they can give and achieved the best thing that they could get. And the soundtrack... I think Akira Yamaoka finally really found his style. Yeah. And it was it was like we were talking about, you know, in Silent Hill 1, there's a, a, a definite difference between your melodic tracks and your industrial tracks. And I think he started to kind of go like, wait, I could do both at the same time. And he started to he started to experiment with more traditional instruments. Like you hear a lot of piano in this soundtrack. You hear a lot of violin in this soundtrack. Where in the older soundtracks, you would have like a weird kind of 50s epiphone uh you know guitar with a weird filter over it now he kind of he's 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 gravitating more towards what he would do for the future with his which is like a weird traditional guitar rock sound with like these odd dark ambient undertones underneath it and then these electric drums that give you this industrial kind of more hard edge sound to it and I, I think this song just encapsulates, like, for me, him figuring out that he could do all these things all at the same time. For sure. I think for me, too, it, it sounds like they gave Yamaoka a much bigger budget for the soundtrack for this sound, yeah. you know, this this game as well. Things just sound much better produced. There's a much wider uh, variety of sounds, you know, like full live instrumentation is going on at points. And then he's also hooked up with two other musicians. There's uh, Mary Elizabeth McGlynn and Joe Ramersa. Um, Joe Ramersa is a drummer and a vocalist. Mary Elizabeth McGlynn is a very popular anime voice actress, cartoon voice actress, and also a vocalist in her own right with an amazing voice. We'll, we'll, we'll play yeah. some, some tracks where she sings on later on. Um, and those remain like some of my favorite tracks from the Silent mm-hmm. Hill series. And um, I think I played Letter from the Lost Days uh, not too long ago. That's one of my favorite tracks from Silent Hill 3. Oh, it's great. And so it, it just, the soundtrack started sounding more like albums than just soundtracks to games, where the music was more accessible, but still kept that same kind of dark Silent Hill feeling, still blended perfectly into the game. And just, this is this is where I, I really started like getting, like you said, understanding that this was like the culmination of all of their efforts so far both soundtrack wise and game wise yeah definitely for sure mike any thoughts on this particular track uh, it was a good track i mean it i was listening mostly to the percussion itself i really like the sleigh bells on top of the kettle drums almost sound uh, yeah or like a very damp bass drum yeah so it's uh it's pretty good stuff i mean with these types of tracks there's not a lot for me to get too excited about but you know for if i'm just listening to them in the capacity that they're just like laid back tracks uh, it's it's cool Uh, i mean it's not my bag but it's it's definitely (laughs) stuff that i would listen to when i'm gonna go to sleep or stuff that i'm gonna listen to when studying um, or researching yeah, yeah yeah or if i'm writing you know like stuff like that yeah, definitely. I think a lot of it too probably comes from, and, and this probably confirms it right here, is that I, I do have a lot of, 
I guess you could say bias. I know when these tracks uh, are played in the game and it brings me back to that point and I feel those emotions again. Like when the, the violin almost sounds like a, a crying kind of whimper yeah. to me and it, it really brings me back to Heather and, and that part of the story that I, I, I feel that when I listen to it and it makes sense that somebody who hasn't seen that scene would would have no emotional reaction to that song. But for the longest time, I thought he was just the most amazing composer and made me feel that way regardless. But I think it may just have to be like the games cause such a cool uh, impression on my mind that the music just brings me right back to that point again. Yeah, same same for me, like Letter from a Lost Days. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a vocal song, which you don't hear very often, you know, playing inside the game. It's mostly like during credits or just a bonus on the soundtrack. But they worked um, "Letter from the Lost Days" into a, like a song that's playing on the radio as as you know Heather's like driving in this car through the rain and she's feeling yeah. these emotions, and so it just kind of you know brings you back to that that place where that song plays and makes it mean even more to you. Oh, for sure. All right, so let's move on to Silent Hill Four, and this one, it's a great game. Jared and I were talking about it before. I don't psychologically like I don't fit this in with the other Silent Hill games, it, it, it feels like Silent Hill in places, but then it feels very different from Silent Hill, Silent Hill in other places. And we'll talk more about the reasons why as we go on. This one came out in June 2004 in North America, in Europe in September of the same year. The soundtrack for Silent Hill 4 is unique in that it had both an American release and a Japanese release, and they were both different releases. They both had different sets of tracks on them. I remember I did not pre-order Silent Hill 4, but I really wanted to buy it. And I heard somewhere, it was an advertisement or something, that you get the American version of the soundtrack when you pre-order Silent Hill 4. And I was pissed because that means that I couldn't get the American soundtrack. So I stopped in the GameStop on release day and uh, picked up the game. And just sitting there on the counter was a stack of American uh, Silent Hill soundtracks. And I was like, so I asked the guy behind the counter, I was like, oh, can I grab one of these? And he was like, sure. And I was so happy. Cause like, that's, I just unwrapped it in the car, threw it in my, my CD player in the car on the way home. And like, just listened to it blissfully all the way home from GameStop. So nice. I, I was listening to the soundtrack, you know, even before I even played the game, and that was that was the best part. And then later on, I went on eBay and basically, you know, got the Japanese soundtrack. Through that, the, the Japanese soundtrack is interesting because it contains a separate set of tracks, and then on the second disc, there is a kind of like a, a spoken word disc of uh, creepy Japanese ghost stories told over music composed by Akira Yamaoka. Like, has mm. nothing to do with Silent Hill, except maybe in terms of, like, the horror ghost term. You know, it's fun to listen to. I don't understand a word they're saying, but the music is original music that doesn't appear in the game, so it's kind of neat to hear, you know, that stuff on the second disc. I, I'll see if I can find some of the uh, the, the, the tracks or just rip, rip them from my disc itself, and we'll put it on our Facebook group. So what, what was your experience with Silent Hill 4, Jared? Well, uh, I, I wouldn't say overly positive. Right off the bat, it didn't have a good start because I didn't even know Silent Hill 4 had come out until I was in, like, a... I, I was like walking through a mall and I went in one of these game shops like this might suddenly there are monsters when, everywhere and the, everything got rusty <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and there's this detective looking for um, <laughs> I walk in and I see a PC copy of Silent Hill 4 The Room and I was like wait a minute but I love Silent Hill why didn't I know that Silent Hill 4 The Room came out so I was a little <laughs> suspicious as it was and uh, I'm just as uh, gameplay and mechanics wise 
to me, it didn't feel like a Silent Hill game. The way certain aspects of the story come across and then actually certain aspects of the story tying back into Silent Hill, I could see. I'm not a big fan. I, I feel like uh, Silent Hill 4 does a lot of retconning that I don't get into, mm. but I can appreciate it at the same way I can appreciate uh, the Silent Hill 1 movie as a cool little interpretation of something that may be happening inside this universe. Yeah. Gameplay-wise, I did not. I didn't get into the gameplay. I thought it was. I thought it was all the difficulty of Silent Hill with not a lot of the. Uh, the payoff for me you know you, I remember being really confused when I met with one of the first uh, ghosts and not knowing if I am I damaging this can I kill it because yeah. I remember thinking like wow these dogs are taking a long time I'm charging up with I, I forget it's the pipe or a bat you find it first and I remember seeing there's like there's an on-screen health display and you you can see when you charge up your attack hold the button down you could see that on screen and yeah. that kind of took me out of the immersion and I remember thinking like oh I remember it took a long time to kill those dogs maybe I just have to sit here and then I died and I just I've I've since played through the game and then read plot synopsis to kind of fill me in because I had not paid attention to it the same way I did with the other Silent Hill games hmm. yeah still to this day I, I wouldn't play it again uh, I can understand why some people like it, but I'm, I'm not really into it myself. I find this is one of the creepiest titles, at least like one of the most original titles. That is because, as I mentioned earlier, this game was developed kind of alongside Silent Hill 3. It was originally going to be called Room 302 mm -hmm. and just be wasn't going to have the Silent Hill name on it. There might have been some references to it kind of taking place in the Silent Hill universe in the game. I'm not sure how Konami wanted to do that, but I guess once development went on, they just decided, hey, we're going to make this Silent Hill 4. And so a lot of those Silent Hill references in the game kind of feel shoehorned in, like they weren't supposed to be there. And then all of a yeah. sudden, oh, hey, so you're this guy, Henry Townsend. You're locked in your apartment by supernatural forces. You can't get out. It's been five days. Uh, suddenly this hole appears in your bathroom, and you can crawl through the hole, and the hole appears in different places in your apartment, and depending on which hole you go into, you go to different areas around the town of Ashfield, which is kind of like a neighboring town to Silent Hill. Different holes in your bathroom. Different holes, mm. yeah. You spend a lot of time in the holes. Right. <laughs> you know, when you say it out loud, the story makes even less sense. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And so you'll end up in the subway station, you'll end up in like this big water tower, you'll end up in all these crazy locations that some of it's kind of cool because there's like a forested orphanage Places that you you know wouldn't normally visit in the Silent Hill universe. It kind of those those kind of like transportation or teleport those teleportation holes kind of allow you to go to places that are kind of weirder than you what you would normally expect from a Silent Hill series. But yeah, I can definitely see what you mean in terms of like it was very combat focused. There were very few puzzles, and what puzzles were there were kind of rudimentary, except that damn water tower, which was annoying as hell. I did like the the story, and I thought the characters were cool. I thought the concept of you being in your apartment, um, you were always in the first person, and then really creepy, like, haunted-style things start going on in the apartment, and you know, you, you have to use these items that you find in the combat scenarios to kind of exercise the demons in your apartment. So, that kind of thing was cool. I felt like I really lived there. So, that was kind of a more immersive aspect of the game. But one of the best things about the game for me was the soundtrack. So one of the tracks we're going to play, this is my pick from Silent Hill 4. As I was mentioning before, Mary Elizabeth McGlynn and Joe Ramirez hooked up with Akira Yamaoka for some tracks on Silent Hill 3 um, and much more so on Silent Hill 4. This is one of my favorite tracks from the trio on this game. This one is called Your Reign by Akira Yamaoka, Mary Elizabeth McGlynn, and Joe Ramirez. 
welcome back. That was your reign. Not my reign. Your reign. Uh, composed by Akira Yamaoka. Vocals by uh, Mary Elizabeth McGlynn. Drums by Joe Ramersa. That was from the Silent Hill 4 soundtrack. One of my favorite vocal tracks from the whole series. I feel it just gives a really good indication of, of Mary Elizabeth McGlynn's range and it's very kind of weepy and sad at the beginning, but then she gets really angry at the end. It's almost like that chorus is almost like a Joan Jett style, just very angry and very forlorn. I just, I love this. I love this track. I love all of her her vocal tracks. I've never heard one that I've been like, eh. They've all been like top notch for me. Well, if you love her so much, why don't you marry her? I would, but I'm married. And I think she is too, maybe? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe one day. The uh, <laughs> chorus and the rock out kind of like Chili Peppers vibe towards the end of the track after uh, the vocals are done really saved the track for me. That I, I really hate that beginning. It's so boring and, <laughs> and so obnoxiously sad sounding, but not like sad with emotion. It was just like sad just to be sad. And that killed, that was gonna okay. kill the track for me until that chorus came in and you had those harmonizing vocals. You know, that was really good stuff. And that's when the track really kind of kicks into gear. And they kind of amp up the initial like first pre-verse, I guess you could say. And that's when the track kind of starts building up for me and it sounds pretty good. And that breakdown is great though towards the end. It's, it's just really awesome. Some like funk inspired bass solo reprise at the yeah, end. It's yeah, good stuff. What'd you think, Jared? Um, it was not my favorite. I think it, it it had out of all the songs that we've listened to today, especially, but I think out of his whole repertoire, it's it's the most radio song sounding to me. Yeah, oh, it, it's it's more sure. of a more traditional song, which I get into some of his stuff that is like that. This one just didn't hook me in, but like you said, Mary Elizabeth McGlenn is what makes it to me where I would just listen to that again, specifically because she has this amazing voice. You know, Motoko Kusanagi is one of my favorite characters, and she is that character. Hmm. Yeah, and for sure. So I, I, I have these mixed emotions about her, but you really can't deny that when she's in a song, it sounds amazing. Just period, the end. Killer voice, amazing voice talent, you know. Sure, yeah. No, she's got a good yeah. voice. I mean, like I said, I, I think the track is strengthened by her voice. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, musically, the composition is fine. I just, you know... I think it's very drab. Yeah, initially. just a regular song it to really, me. Really, right. Yeah, once she kicks in, like it, it, it becomes a much better mm -hmm. piece. Well, I stand by my original <laughs> statement. I love this song. Yeah. Different strokes for different yeah. folks. All different right, well. folks for different strokes. Two, that, also. That two? Yeah. Maybe? <laughs> All right, so let's move on to Jared's pick from this game. This one is called Nightmarish Waltz, again, from Silent Hill 4 by Akira Yamaoka.
Welcome back. That was Silent Hill 4, The Room, and the track was called Nightmarish Waltz, and that was Jared's pick, and the track is by Akira Yamaoka. I'd never listened to Your Rain and Nightmarish Waltz back-to-back before, but they share the Hmm. same melody. I did not realize that. Dancing alone again. Yeah, it's really cool. What a coincidence. We learned something new today. I will say I do prefer this track to the previous one. Yeah, yeah. Um, this, my song. That's no, fine. no. The track is, is... This particular track itself lends a really great, like, jazz vibe to it. You've got these awesome triplet snare drums that kind of... This, like, snare drum pattern that kind of comes in. But the final hit is, is uh, kind of, like, added in with the bass drum. And it's a very heavy-sounding bass drum. Kind of coupling that with a really strong like ride symbol it's just it has a really nice jazz vibe to it but i would also say that yeah that that melody from the previous track is there but it's much more subdued and it's more focused on uh, kind of like the string arrangement and the other things that are going on in the track i don't have much to compare it with other than resident evil but you could easily hear a track like this in Resident Evil, particularly during like a puzzle solving area. You know, I haven't played this particular game, but I would imagine that this track would fit very similar in with that in terms of needing to, you know, discover something or find out something or, you know, put something together. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's interesting. uh, A lot of these tracks that I'm picking, which are more melodic, you'll find are typically happening during dialogue. And, and it, okay. it's the same yeah. thing. It's the same uh, pacing idea as the save room in Resident Evil. Here's a time when you don't have to worry about monsters and anything like that. And yeah, you can catch, catch your, your breath. breath so it's soft. And then he has that undertone of just a creepy, almost mysterious vibe. And this song specifically brings that creepiness back. And it, it feels like, yeah, this is good. I don't have to worry about getting attacked anymore. But wait a minute. Now I have to pay attention to what they're saying because this song is putting me in a mood to where like I don't know what's going to come next kind of thing. It, it, it's great, but every time you hear one of these softer songs that has more of that kind of melodic structure, I can typically imagine the type of conversation that's taking place during it. You know what I mean? Like it, it just it really has that feel to right. it. Right. Yeah. It's uh, it's funny. I don't have really any experience with this game in particular. I've I've like I knew about the other games, but the only thing I I know about this game is apparently there's a room that you can go into. And there's this like giant creepy yeah. face yeah. that's in the background, <laughs> and that that like that image alone is basically what <laughs> I think of whenever anybody talks about Silent Hill for the room. <laughs> so that's you'll have to bear in mind with me because I keep thinking back to that image, yeah. and I'm just like, wow, that was really creepy. Yeah, that's Eileen uh, Galvin, who's your mm-hmm. next door neighbor, lives in the apartment next to you. She's able to leave, so there's like a hole in your apartment that you can see through, and you can kind of spy on Eileen in her apartment, kind of like doing day-to-day stuff. Uh, it's kind of one of the ways that you can kind of check up on the outside world. You can, you can look out your window, you can look through your peephole at Eileen's bedroom, uh, which is creepy. Sounds like a glorious <laughs> hole. Well... It's not that big. <laughs> and then uh, you can also look out your you know, your door peephole to see right. people that are in the hallway. Basically, there's a serial killer on the loose. He's all messed up because he's got mommy-daddy issues. Which seems to be a theme of Silent Hill. For sure. Yeah. For sure, definitely. Either, either parents treating their kids like dirt or kids mm-hmm. treating their parents like dirt. 
probably because they were treated like dirt. What about past. dirt treating their dirt like dirt? dirt you know, there like might be dirt. a subtext yeah. to like the ground textures that we never even thought about. <laughs> True. There you go. There's a lot of dirt going on. <laughs> I mean, everything is gross. So, <laughs> so yeah, there's this um, little boy who was uh, adopted, and this little boy ends up having psychic powers, even though he probably doesn't even know it. He finds out where his mom was living and essentially, like, camps out outside her apartment door, like, day after day. Are you my mommy? And so this kind of, like, takes a toll on his psyche. Uh, He grows up, and there's some sort of ritual sacrifice that he needs to commit 21 murders again to birth the god of, you know, this cult that wants to take over the world. So it's, it's got a lot of flashbacks and that kind of very cultish creepy vibe that the that the original Silent Hills had in them. Right. So, you know, that's why Harry's apartment is locked up because it's kind of surrounded by this this curse and that everywhere that these holes in his apartment appear, everywhere that they lead to are, are different parts of uh, Walter, the, the, the serial killer, his, his past. And you kind of uncover the story of the orphanage and his parents and, and what happened to them as the story mm-hmm. goes on. And then you realize that, that he and Eileen, his neighbor, were both um, targets of these, these murders that need to be performed by him in order to, to complete this seance, basically. Mm. So it's not as creepy I think in terms of the storyline goes it's, it's more like a horror storyline than a, than a creepster storyline seems like it yeah um, less psychological more yeah yeah horror but just um, I've really enjoyed the sequences in the apartment being able to move around it in, in first person kind of gradually seeing it turn from a relatively normal but drab apartment into this kind of horror-esque you know things crawling through the walls and candles floating in midair and all this weird stuff starts going on and mm. in the first person um, like like Resident Evil 7, you know, that's coming out soon is going to be first-person VR compatible. Uh, that kind of a feel. Um, it just really kind of worked for those segments in the game. Is anyone really excited over Resident Evil? I'm no so way. excited about really? it, dude. I cannot wait that I think Mike Sai was probably the most uh, excitement I've ever heard about the game before. <laughs> I just, I, I don't know. It's an to- entirely different topic. Oh, I played the demo and loved it. I, so. I don't know. Uh, you know, listen, Resident Evil has gotten so off the. What's well, the thing? I'm not looking at cuff, it as a Resident like, Evil game at all. I'm looking sure. at it as a new horror experience. I'm looking at it as like Capcom said, okay, Silent Hills isn't going to. Silent Hills is coming out. We need an answer to that. So Capcom started developing this Resident Evil 7 as like a counterpoint to Silent Hills. And then Silent Hills died. Well, so all right. Canon- uh, Capcom's like, well, we still got this game. But so here you go. That, that's that's the biggest one of the biggest problems in my opinion with the video game industry is following trends. Mm-hmm. My thing is is that this is one of the most shameless attempts at just an outright copy of a formula that I've seen in a yeah. long time. You know, I I could get behind playing it not as a Resident Evil game because that makes sense to me. Because I do that with some games. I am a Resident Evil purist. So I like the mm. tank controls, pre-rendered backgrounds, you know, I like those games. And sometimes I'll play like Revelations 2 and be like, ah, this is a cool little thing. I can turn my brain off and do that. This one to me just seems a little, I don't know, just intellectually bankrupt at this point. Like there's been cl- yeah. clones of games before, but I don't, ever since Doom came out, I don't think somebody's just said, uh, we got to do that thing that happened in that demo. And then... Exactly, that takes place with almost no chance whatsoever. 
I mean, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna reserve final opinion on it until like you know the the, the full game is is out and there are review. I'm not gonna go pre-order it for sure, sure. you know, because I'm I'm not completely convinced that it's going to be uh, an experience yeah. worth playing. But I'm still I'm excited that they're bringing horror back because I was really disappointed because you know. Kojima and Del Toro and, and Norman Reedus, like I'm a huge Walking mm-hmm. Dead fan, so Silent Hills was like I was I was giddy over that game, and so I feel like this is a step in the right direction, at least to bring that kind of genre back, and hopefully that that Death Stranding, that that new Kojima game that's coming out outside of Konami will be more in that vein and kind of continue where Silent yeah. Hills might have left off. All right, so you touched on some interesting points and. Uh... I apologize to our viewers or listeners because this is probably going to end up going way longer than you'd like, but I I feel it's important to address, especially since we're talking about Silent Hill. So Resident Evil comes out immensely huge and very popular and set the standard for survival horror, right? Silent Hill comes out and Konami basically was like, hey, we want to make something similar to Resident Evil, but you said it yourself that Silent Hill was a a team of misfits, a team of people who wanted to make something in their own direction. So they went in their own direction taking, uh, I guess you could say blueprints of something that, you know, There were elements of Resident Evil Mm -hmm. and Clock Tower. I mean, it wasn't like it was completely an original design. Right, right, right. But at the same time, like, even Resident Evil is an amalgamation of Sweet Home Mm -hmm. and Alone in the Dark. But when you look at Silent and Romero movies, right, right, and all the you know George Romero movies. But when you look at Resident Evil and Capcom versus Silent Hill and Konami, they each kind of set their own path to take. And I feel like Silent Hill was much more of the experimental yeah. vibe, whereas Resident Evil didn't kind of stray too much from the survival horror aspects of the genre up until probably about Resident Evil 4, Resident Evil 5. That's when you started getting the more action-oriented games. And, you know, uh, I'm also kind of a purist, but I I don't want to speak for you, Jared, but I, I would probably say that I'm a little bit more okay with action in my Resident mm. Evil games. Like, I, I, I'm playing through 5 right now for the first time, and I'm, I'm enjoying it quite a bit. 4 I love. And I do miss all the puzzles and everything from the original Resident Evil games, so I will say that much. But I loved Revelations. Yeah. I mean, I'm not done with it yet, but it, it's a really good game. I haven't played the second one. I, I watched your review on it, which everybody should go check oh, out. Thanks. It's a really good review. <laughs> but I haven't checked that one out either. But now they're going in a direction that's not action-oriented. It's not... You know, there it, it just feels like Capcom is so unaware of what yeah. fans wanted because fans have been talking about Resident Evil 2 remaking that game, and Capcom was like, "Yeah, let's do it." And I think that's when fans kind of picked up momentum, and people were like, "Yeah, you know what? We want survival horror back in mm. our Resident Evil." And then Silent Hills comes out, and to me, like Kojima is the like. Don't get me wrong, I love Metal Gear. Metal Gear's really cool, like I enjoy the first few Metal Gear Solid games. But I I think Kojima is extremely overrated, and I think that he puts less of a focus on game on the games themselves and more of a focus on just making a bonkers story mm-hmm. in most cases. Mm-hmm. He got that reputation for a while, but then the he, last Metal Gear was much more focused on gameplay than, right. than well, the story. I don't know, I haven't played it, but I, I lost interest after 3. Like, I thought 3 was fantastic for Metal Gear, but the, getting aside from the point, he ruined 
Lords of Shadow, Castlevania Lords of Shadow. That's true. Ruin that. And I feel like with Silent Hills, I mean, again, I'm not a Silent Hill guy, but me personally, when I saw that, I was like, eh, whatever. I really wasn't interested in it at all. Wasn't planning on picking it up. I was less interested in that than the original Silent Hill games. And then when I saw Resident Evil 7 come out, I was so angry because I'm like, all right, first off, this is, you just don't put a number on yeah. it. Yeah. Because 7 is, is the mindset that you're going to continue the story from 6, which I heard 6 was terrible. But still, there's a story in place, there's characters in place. So to call it Resident Evil 7, it's just like kind of a spit in the face. I agree. To, to me, at least, as a pretty it's, big It really Resident all depends Evil. on how this storyline ends up falling in line with yeah. the Resident Evil series. And I just wanted to point out to everybody that Mike had picked up a pen and was gesturing with it <laughs> while he was talking. That's how serious we knew. It's a he serious subject. I, I was, yes. I he was I conducting usually, like he, he had an orchestra I, I, and his I, words were the instruments. I play I play with stuff a lot when I'm when I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah, hey-o. Um, but I don't know. I mean, Jared, what do you uh, think about I, I, I think you well, summed it up pretty well, honestly. Uh, Resident Evil 7 makes me think, oh, this is a continuation of the story of Resident Evil. So far, what we've seen, I was in, um, I was in Tokyo. Yeah, it looks more like House of it a Thousand does, Corpses than it does yeah, I was Resident in Tokyo during point. Tokyo Game Show, and I, I went there, and I watched a lot of the trailers before they hit the internet, and to me, I was like, like, okay, so Texas Chainsaw Massacre meets the gameplay mechanics of PT, which is fine. And now make the same argument I made for four and I made for five. It may end up being a great game, and I I don't doubt that Capcom can make a good game. My problem is oh, sure. is at what point does the Resident Evil name do anything for those games? Like Resident Evil Four, an amazing right. game. If that was called uh, White Guy uh, Rampages Through Spain, I would have enjoyed it the exact same amount. You know what I mean? Like. <laughs> At no point would yeah, I have gone, yeah. this could well, really you know, I, use I, some kind of a connection in the form of one character who is mentioned offhand as being in Resident Evil once. Like, you know what I mean? Like, nothing else I in that game spoke Resident Evil to me. And which is fine, because it was still a great game. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think the same thing of Resident Evil 7. Uh, I thought the same thing of Silent Hills. Kojima, like you said, he might be overrated. A lot of people think he's God. I think I enjoy his games a lot. I love the character focus and how ridiculous they are. Like like Tom Clancy took acid and watched an anime. That's that's what he is. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. That's pretty spot but I don't, on. Yeah. He, he doesn't have the subtlety and he doesn't have the writing chops to make a Silent Hill game. Like I used to be kind of like, oh, I don't know. The guy couldn't do it. He would not have been able to pull it off. Ooh. Right. That's he, how I feel about it. Like I, I just I don't have faith in Kojima doing anything other than Metal Gear at this point until he proves yeah. no, I'm the same because way. I was just so vastly disappointed with yeah. Lords of Shadow. So. Okay, let's <sighs> not go not. there. Let's not. We're going to yeah. spend another half hour. Yeah. All right, so this is a good segue. Speaking of where series might have started to go wrong, let's move on to Silent Hill Origins. <laughs> and so this was uh, not developed by Team Silent. This was developed by Climax Studios. Uh, originally came out on the PSP in 2007 and then PS2 in 2008. And it is a prequel to the first game, but still a soundtrack from Akira Yamaoka and still very decent music at that. Um, so let's take a listen to Wrong is Right from Silent Hill Origins. Thank you. 
And we're back. That was Wrong is Right from Silent Hill Origins, composed by Akira Yamaoka. This track reminds me a lot of early British industrial music like Coil and Psychic TV. It's got this really cool bass groove and these really monstrous sounds in the background, but then that those typical Yamaoka, like, soft bell pad kind of... Yeah. Uh, keyboard lines that are unsettling but calming at the same time it all kind of blends really well to make this super creepy track that kind of begins and ends with these trailing hi-hats that just kind of almost don't belong there i guess in a sense but but still but still make the song feel very creepy yeah your take mike i i like that bass line it's good stuff (laughs) i mean you know it's funky it's funky fresh i don't know the keyboards kind of give it like a 70s vibe a little Almost. bit. That's where I was going yeah. with that, with the, with the uh, like the classic industrial yeah. stuff. Yeah. How about you, Jared? Uh, no, I like it. I, I one thing I like about Origins is that the music was creepy again. The, the, Yamaoka took a little bit less of that making a rock song kind of vibe and added that creepiness back to the soundtrack, which is good because I like those more traditional structured songs. And But I also love it when he does the weird, creepy, like you said, the cymbal hits in there were just so soft and almost like they didn't belong in a song that sounded like that. And that's just yeah. classic Yamaoka. He brought that back. I will say that if I was going to show someone like if I was going to say, oh, you got to hear the Sekiro Yamaoka song, this wouldn't be the one I would turn them on to his work with. No. But at the same time, once you're familiar with his his work, this is a really cool kind of journey into like him going back and forth in between styles. I like it a lot. Yeah, he said in, you know, in interviews that because this game was a prequel, he you know tried to design this soundtrack in more of a sense of something that might appear you know, more towards the earlier parts of the series. So kind of a return to form to the Silent Hill 1, Silent Hill 2 soundtrack then, you know, to the more, I guess, commercial, almost popular music-oriented, yeah. like, soundtracks that 3 and 4 were kind of steering towards. Yeah, I could see that. Um, so I think I think that worked out really well. Mm-hmm. This game had a weird development history. It originally was developed by an American group, but they wanted it to be, like, a dark comedy. Like, they described it as, like, the Silent Hill version of Scrubs, which I don't... I don't know where dark comedy belongs in Silent Hill <laughs> yeah. at all. And I think, you know, Konami kind of saw this and was like, eh, I think we're going to yank the project from you guys. And they gave it to Climax, who was based out of the UK. And so they kind of revamped almost everything. They said, Konami said, we'll let you revamp it as long as you can stay within budget and stay within the time frame. Mm. And um, they were able to do it. The game's director, Sam Barlow, basically rewrote everything in like a span of like a week. Um, and said, okay, this is this is the new story. It's going to be a prequel to Silent Hill. Girl, Alessa, who was having all the nightmares come to life in the first game, uh, Travis is going to save her from a burning building because she, in the first game, Alessa was pretty much confined to a bed. She had all these burns all over her body and they wouldn't heal uh, and she wouldn't die at the same time. Like she was supposed to have been long beyond dead, mm. but psychic powers were keeping her alive and she was just in constant pain. So Travis is the guy that basically saves her from from burning to death inside that house. And so you kind of follow the story of of the origins of, of Alessa and Dahlia and, and how the events that take place in Silent Hill essentially came to be. And you kind of find out that Travis is kind of responsible for all the stuff that took place in Silent Hill as well. Mm-hmm. Jared, did you play this one at all? I did. I played through it and I just right up front, I'm not a fan 
I would probably enjoy playing the game as its own horror game, like we were just talking about with the Resident Evil series and stuff. My problem with it is, if this was an offshoot, and they had things like your giant inventory system where you could cycle through like five color TVs because uh, weapons were breakable during combat. So yeah. you're always looking for a weapon. But that ended up not being the case and you just carried a million things in your pocket at all times. <laughs> I could play that in a Silent Hill game because it was an offshoot and it was something different. But then when you go and say, oh, well, we're going to show you the events that led to Silent Hill 1, you have to have a core understanding of those events. And that's something that Sam Barlow or Sam Barlu, he, he, he didn't have. And there's, there's a lot of contention because he used to write like unofficial strategy guides. And then he wrote an official strategy guide that was full of just a lot of erroneous stuff about the series. And Konami put it out because Team Silent wasn't responsible for putting out that kind of stuff. So Konami said, yeah, this seems about right. And there's Silent, his Silent Hill 3 sound, uh, strategy guide shares a lot of the mistakes that are common to this game it just it it changes Jeez. a lot of characters <laughs> alessa it changes things about alessa that i don't like it, it was it was the movie alessa and i think what they were trying to do is is play off of the more popular aspects of the series which at that point was the movie yeah and and it, I, I think the one major thing that killed it for me is that you are able to control when you come out in into the the other world it's it, it was a puzzle yeah, using element. the mirrors yeah, you can touch a mirror yeah. and go into the other world whereas in the other games you're thrust into it kicking and screaming you don't want to go there uh which is why it was scary because uh in the middle of a storyline or, or a part of the level boom you're in the other world and you're like oh geez now everything's made out of skin and 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 you know metal fencing yeah i'll do anything i can to get yeah, out of there and and in this one it's like oh well, this door's locked i'll go into the other world and it won't be locked there it, it, it ruined it for me because of the story and because of the other world stuff if you take those two out and call it uh you know silent hill travis the trucker i'm on board you know <laughs> i'm not a big fan as a psp survival horror game not too bad honestly so it's, it, it, it controls right, right. well it looks really good on the system, uh, I'm just I just wasn't big on what they did with the Silent Hill story in it. Yeah, I, I mean I I appreciate the fact that the story was at least a prequel and kind of shed a little bit of light on you know what went on before it. Obviously there were some some plot gaps. You know it had been so long since I'd played Silent Hill one when I played Origins that I probably didn't even pick up on most of that stuff. Yeah. I'm not a guy that ascribes to canon much either. I mean, Mike and I have talked about this lots of times. Mm -hmm. I kind of take a game at face value and just play it for what it is. Yeah. Gameplay-wise, I, I agree with you. I was not a fan of this game. I did not like the fact that you could voluntarily go back and forth between the two, you know, the dark world and the light world, or whatever you want to call right. it, the upside down. Um, <laughs> I guess, yeah, what I'm trying to say is basically I appreciated the fact that they were trying to explain what happened before the first Silent Hill mm -hmm. and kind of made a little more sense out of the history of the town and stuff like that. But the rest of the game, not great. I would more likely watch like a playthrough of this game than actually play through it again if I wanted to refresh myself of the story. Sure, yeah. I can, I can see that for sure. All right, so uh, that pretty much covers the basic Silent Hill games of the official series. We basically um, had a couple miscellaneous picks just from tracks um, from some of the Silent Hill games that we didn't feature in the show. These last two picks that we have. This is Jared's pick from Silent Hill Origins. This one is called Shot Down in Flames. This is another vocal track from Mary Elizabeth McGlynn, composed by Akira Yamaoka.
All right, we're back. That was shot down in flames from Silent Hill Origins. And uh, we've already talked a ton about the Silent Hill Origins game. So, Jared, let us know. Why did you pick this particular uh, shot? I think it's it, it shows a trend with Silent Hill games and with Origins. That was something that was comforting to me is at least I'm hearing something that I'm familiar with and, and not being completely demolished <laughs> yeah. in front of my eyes. I'm a little bit of a fanboy, so when I do talk about the Silent Hill story, it's it comes from just hours and hours of experiencing it and knowing what the developers uh, meant when they wanted to put it in. And with Origins, I didn't get that, but then you listen to the intro music and it is that Silent Hill intro song. It's got an odd rock arrangement while still being a little weird. And then, uh, of course, recently, once Akira Yamaoka hooked up with Mary Elizabeth McGlenn, you knew they were going to be those vocals in that intro song, you know? And it, it just right. really it, it fits that trend, and it's something kind of comforting and familiar in a very cold and harsh world that is the new Silent Hill games. Yeah, <laughs> and, and again, that was the thing. Like Once I started to get a little sour on the series, I think starting with Origins... I at least was always excited that a new Silent Hill soundtrack was going to be coming out alongside those games. So even if the game yeah. sucked, I could, I could know at least, you know, 50% or more of the soundtrack. Because even I felt the soundtracks were of lesser yeah. quality. You know, like I really felt that it, same, same with you, it, it peaked with three, still good with four, and then kind of slightly yeah. went downhill. I'm not going to say I disliked them because I still like them, but I just felt they peaked at that point. So you know that at least I would get yeah. a good soundtrack out which of is, out of a game that may not yeah, be. Yeah, which is a compliment playing. to Kiriyamaoka because even a Kiriyamaoka's C game is still knocking other composers out of the water. You know, for sure, for sure. And you know that that makes sense because like Downpour was a different composer. Yeah. Daniel Light took over after Yamaoka left and went to Grasshopper mm -hmm. Manufacture. And uh, that soundtrack, I tried, I tried to like that soundtrack, and I just it did not do yeah. anything for me. Um, even the tracks that Mary Elizabeth McGlynn sang on, just, all, yeah. they didn't have it. So, unfortunately. So, yeah, you, you know, kind of saying what we said before, that, that Yamaoka's work was a, a good chunk of our favoritism for this mm -hmm. for this series, for sure. All right, so, ready to move on to the next oh, one? Yeah. All right, so these are some um, kind of miscellaneous tracks, I guess. We're not going to really be covering these games so much, but they do belong to soundtracks that we are fans of. Um, so my first pick is called Different Persons, and this is from Silent Hill Shattered Memories, which came out on the Wii. Let's take a listen.
were back, that was different persons from Silent Hill, Shattered Memories, uh, which was kind of a remake of the story of Silent Hill 1, uh, told in a kind of a different way that came out in 2009 on the Wii, and then later on the PS2 and the PSP both got ports. I don't know, I really like this this track. I, I seem to be picking all the tracks that are kind of like very wispy, creepy backgrounds with like the hip-hop flavored style beats. Those tracks appeal to me the most, I guess, from the series, aside from the vocal tracks. We were just kind of talking about this while the song was playing, and we all have kind of different opinions on it. This game takes place entirely in first person, and I played it on the Wii. So basically you turn your, your Wii remote into a flashlight that you can shine on the screen as you explore the town and the buildings in the town. I, I, I like those kind of games. They're very immersive for me. Games like Soma and Amnesia, The Dark Descent that just came out, they're based around evasion, there's no combat, but it's just very creepy and, and full of problem solving and kind of exploring the world around you. Those are the kind of games that I actually prefer playing nowadays than, than the real action-packed ones. But, but Jared, you kind of had a very different take on this one, right? Yeah, I definitely I'm not a fan. Me being a fanboy, I didn't like the direction they took with the remake and, and, and what they did with the characters. It, it was a retcon, but as something that's a retcon that they never espoused on, they never uh, went from there to another story. It's its own little thing, and I can, I guess I can kind of respect that. When they were making it, the whole idea was they're bringing things back to the roots. Uh, survival Horror, Silent Hill's going back to the roots, and then they made a first-person game with zero combat in it where you only have one enemy and it's just it didn't it didn't hit it for me it wasn't silent hill for me now you say uh you, you like those first person horror games i've never been a fan of the non-combat survival horror uh thing that's come up recently with let's players and stuff and that's what this game gave me a feeling of so it might just be my inherent taste that made me not like it but that being said, as far as this track goes, I'm getting real Silent Hill 3 vibes from it. It's just, oh, for sure. Yeah. It sounds like it belongs in that soundtrack. You got the real mellow kind of slow driving melody, and then you have the electric drums in the background that just kind of have a little bit of reverb to them. It, just, it sounds like you could put that in the Silent Hill 3 soundtrack. I would assume it was just like unreleased or something. Yeah, definitely. And that, that kind of you know furthers my point that I made last last segment where... Even if it's a game you don't really like, it's going to come with a soundtrack that you're going to at least be able to pull a couple of, of pieces of gold out of. So, Absolutely. Um, really, really makes it worthwhile. So, Mike, you haven't played this one yet, but I don't know if you really have an opinion on it. Nah, not really, to be honest. I mean, this track in particular sounds very cold, so it fits with that whole cold motif of the game itself. But, yeah. All right, well, let's move on to our last track of the day. Uh, this is Jared's pick. This is from Silent Hill Homecoming. And this one is called Witchcraft.
And we're back. That was Witchcraft from Silent Hill Homecoming, released on the PS3 and Xbox 360 um, in 2008. And I think that's a very fitting song for the end of this show, because it's very, I don't know, something I'd listen to when I'm trying to fall asleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I particularly want to have really sad dreams. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. That's what a lot of this music kind of comes to mind when I think of that. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I don't have much experience with this game, Jared. So I played a little bit of it. I watched some playthrough. I do like the fact that, you know, obviously the graphics are more updated for a you know, the more modern systems, mm-hmm. and that it deals with Alex Shepard, who's a soldier who comes home to Silent Hill and finds his world is completely turned upside down, and he's got, like, a little bit of PTSD going on. So how, how does this kind of fit into the Silent Hill world, though, Jared? Well, it does about as awkwardly as possible is how it fits into the <laughs> Silent Hill world. Uh, it really started as a tech demo. These guys wanted to make a Silent Hill game, so they rendered out... I think everybody saw, if you're into Silent Hill, you probably saw the cutscene they rendered out of a guy standing there, and then there's a transition to the other world, and they used a lot of the effects that you saw in the Silent Hill movie which you know at this point is becoming a trend it's just like oh the Silent Hill movie let's we have to do everything like that so Konami gave them the go-ahead they make their game every game made after the room just shows a very serious lack of understanding of the the concepts in the game which is fine because Homecoming really doesn't intersect with the main series you could think of it as a spin-off like two and yeah. it's probably good that you do because it's a lot like two as well. This is this is what they do for every Silent Hill game. There's a death that someone has to deal with, and it becomes a trend after Origins that it's a death that they've forgotten about. And yeah, it just becomes very formulaic yeah, at that point. And, and then it, the whole concept of the game is finding out what they've forgotten about. Yeah, and it, it's I don't it's 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 a very awkward story to tell because it, it, he doesn't even live in Silent Hill. He lives in what's it Shepherd's Glen, his hometown, okay. and and somehow the cult of Silent Hill has worked its way into here, but their practices are about sacrifices, ritual sacrifices every so often or something like that. Okay. It's, it's a whole thing, and it just it really doesn't fit in Silent Hill, which sucks because it had a lot of potential. There were certain scenes, like you said, the graphics, I mean, it looked nice, but then there were certain scenes where, like, rust was very shiny and had a glint to it, which, yeah. which was the thing with the, I think it was the Unreal Engine they used, or the in that era everything was shining in the original yeah the yeah. unreal 2 and 3 engines yeah exactly so it, it didn't fit it right but then the lighting was great and it had moments where there was dialogue and i could have swore i was playing a silent hill game you know mm-hmm. uh, there was a lot that was just disappointing about it but like we've said about every game musically it, it brought it home and that's something you can get the soundtrack not play the game and still really experience most of what was great about it yeah one i mean one thing i really brought away from at least what i've seen of this game is that it, again it kind of brings that that concept that the characters that you're talking to and the people in the town don't really react to anything that's going on that's wrong yeah and, there's and, something a little you know, off about all of them and that they did that right for sure yeah yeah especially there's this like scene where you're uh you get the basement and your house is flooded and your mom's like sick and and like barely talking to you and you have to go down and like deal with these monsters that are in your basement and kind of drain the water out and you learn some secrets down there so yeah. you know the concepts were there i just think the the, the presentation and the writing really needed to be tightened up as mm-hmm. well as like you said with the with the canon if they had made 
made it follow the series a little bit more. Uh, the, the game really had potential. It just kind of fell short of it. For sure, definitely. I, another thing, the combat for me was terrible. Sometimes it would work and sometimes it wouldn't. And as somebody who plays competitive fighting games, I tend to be a little bit of a frame counter. So uh, when mm-hmm. if I can get someone you know, in a stun lock, I'll do it. And in Silent Hill Homecoming, I would find that on one enemy, I'll be able to stun lock with a knife. And then on the next enemy, it's it's a totally different game that's set to very hard mode. And I have not yeah. been taught the mechanics yet. It's it's, ah, they, it's they, pain in the butt. They dropped the ball on a lot of stuff with that. But as far as the soundtrack goes, this song specifically, just like the one you picked, this is just a very Silent Hill 3 sound to me. The drums have that electronic, almost not real drum sound. And there's a little reverb that kind of holds out the highs on it. It's, it's good stuff. Nice and dark. Yes, definitely. And obviously that's that's the theme going throughout this entire series. So that about wraps it up for the Silent Hill content for the show. We want to thank you so much, Jared, for coming on the show with us and chatting. I know this is a little like it's it's very Mike Light this episode. <laughs> He's been kind of standing here with a little bit of drool coming out of his side of his <laughs> mouth as, as you and I go back and forth and talk about this series. But, you know, next episode is our Spooky Tunes episode, so we'll definitely both be very involved in that one. So, yes, thank you again, Jared. Where, where can we find you on the internet if people want to follow and subscribe to your stuff? Uh, you can find me on YouTube at uh, Avalanche Reviews. I got a couple of videos specifically talking about Silent Hill. And uh, if you thought I was a little snobby about the storyline in this little outing, <laughs> I feel like maybe you shouldn't watch those and just stick to the rest of the content because I do tend to be a little bit of a, a Silent Hill story Nazi. But you can find me there on YouTube, Avalanche Reviews. I review everything, really. Anything that comes around, modern, old, PC, console. Uh, I also have a Twitter at Avalanche Jared, J-A-R-E-D. And uh, I have ridiculous opinions. I uh, shout at people on that as well. Excellent. <laughs> we do the same thing here, so yes. we're used to that. You can find us on the web at facebook.com slash groups slash Radio or on Twitter and Instagram at Radio. You can also check us out at youtube.com forward slash dongled, where you can watch not only Pixel Tunes radio episodes, but also, dude, you haven't played this game, and other assorted goodies as well. And also check us out, both Jared and I, on multitap.com, where you can see a bunch of different YouTubers putting out some really quality content. Sweet. Feel free to leave us a uh, rating and a review on iTunes. And don't forget, for our Pixel Chat segments, shoot us an email at pixeltunesradio at gmail.com. All right. All right. So next episode, Spooky Tunes. Spooky. We've got some good stuff lined up. We've yeah. got our tracks already picked out. I think this is going to be a fantastic episode. I know a lot of people really um, are, anticipate this, this show every year. That's right. And we're hoping to have that out on Halloween Day. So it'll be a little earlier than usual. And uh, so you can trick-or-treat and listen to some PTR at the same time. That's right. All right. So that does it for us for the day, Jared. Once again, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. We would love to have you back on in the future, you know, if we do more survival horror stuff or even even for some Jared's picks. There you go. Yeah. I'll do it. That would be really Absolutely. awesome. Absolutely. Cool. All right. So we will see you in two weeks, boys and girls. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.